The Power Trip Podcast is a proud member of the Kaiju Ramen Media Podcast Network. Hello, listeners with attitude. I'm Michael. And I'm Nathan. And you're listening to The Power Trip, a journey through the Power Rangers franchise. In today's episode, we're discussing Power Rangers Lost Galaxy. joke for you oh no it's not the some of the ones you've been sharing in our group chat this no, week is it no 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 this is a different i mean we did get we did get a request to have more to have more dirty jokes on the show apparently this is a different joke i promise okay <laughs> all right hear me out there once was a ranger from nantucket nope <laughs> <laughs> nope <laughs> <laughs> we're done that one that's cliche two we're a family show well and i don't have jet jaguar as a dump button right now wait jet who yeah uh, jet to jaguar you've never think, heard of him i think i think i have never heard of this character at all because we're <laughs> we're only involved in one fandom nathan lies Anyway, uh, <laughs> maybe we should have Alpha as our dump button. Yeah. <laughs> well, we. <laughs> what the? Aye, aye. <laughs> you know, having a little Alpha AI to to edit this podcast would be really helpful because I'm still working <laughs> through in space. <laughs> but it's going to be your favorite episode. I know it is. Well, just... you know, it's it is it is it it has been a lot of fun. In fact, that discussion we had about in space was a lot of fun, and it was extremely informative, way more informative than I'm sure the listeners with attitude would have expected or even needed. But it was still a lot of fun. You know, there that yes. the, the joke we like to say about the three hour presentation on astronomers' <laughs> wigs is not that far off. Uh, as I'm sure all of the listeners with attitude know by now because i don't know why they would skip that episode to go to this one especially with how close a ties this season has very with the close. previous season yeah very 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 close but nathan before we get into all that we actually have another five-star review to read off of that <laughs> we do we do we do so if you do if you will be a kind lad and pull that up and read it for our listeners with attitude i would very much appreciate it okay it says a morphenomenal more morphine it's morphine time i what <laughs> what uh, and then in the t- uh, was it it's a, a morphine nominal podcast or something and then, and then it just says see title from okay. g george i will yeah, i will okay. take that as this podcast is incredibly incredibly addicting and it makes you feel good 
And also, it puts you to sleep so that somebody can do surgery on you. Don't ruin this for me, Nathan. <laughs> yes. But it's morphine. It says morphine. I, I, I even made a meme about that. Morphine nominal. I had Power Rangers holding giant syringes. I just... Oh, no. No, 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 no. <laughs> Well, thank you to that. Thank you to that faithful listener for leaving that review. And I'm not sure if you meant it to be morphine and it was, and it wasn't yeah. just a typo, but yeah, thank we, you for that wonderful typo yeah. because it's hilarious. Yeah. We know it's supposed to be more phenomenal, but uh, yeah, more I've, Even I had to work a look, not work up. I had to look up how to spell more phenomenal. It's a little weird. It's not, it's not a word that we, um, get to use very much in our lexic well we do what are you talking about we say it in every episode we do i I should take that back we use it in our lexicon but it is not one that's commonly found in the public lexicon so having autocorrect so having uh you know your autocorrect on your device on is not the best idea when you're trying to type out more phenomenal no it's not but because the typos are hilarious. Oh, they're, oh, they're, they're, they're <laughs> and as an English teacher, funny typos are life. Speaking of something that probably won't have any typos in it, Nathan, do you <laughs> want to take us in to our plot synopsis? I would love to cue the epic rock music. The space colony Terra Venture launches in search of a new world for its inhabitants. Meanwhile, on the planet Miranoi, the minions of the evil insect despot Scorpius try to steal five powerful swords stuck in stones. Instead, the swords are pulled up by five young heroes who become Power Rangers. Now, the Galaxy Rangers must defend Terra Venture from constant attacks by Scorpius and his bratty daughter, Trakina, and later a conniving space pirate, with several of them making the ultimate sacrifice. So, Lost Galaxy is a really ambitious season, I think. Very ambitious. <laughs> Yeah, it's a very once so hard to be in space. I know every all of you have just spent uh, you know, several millennia hearing me rant about in space because at the moment in space is my favorite season. I don't know if it can be eclipsed by any other season, but this one wants so hard to be in space in and, more ways than one. And now, after ten thousand years, we can stop listening to Nathan talk about in space. <laughs> Except you're going to hear me still talk about in space because this has some pretty close ties. Oh, it does. Despite yeah. being a self-contained season. Yeah. And that's the thing. That's the thing. We talked about it in the last episode. In space was meant to be the final season of Power Rangers. Oh, absolutely. But, yeah. But then the ratings for Countdown to Destruction were so good that Saban pulled did a U-turn. <laughs> And said, actually, no, let's keep it going. But now what's interesting about this season is that in many ways, it's the transitional season. This is when they switched over completely to the Super Sentai model, where each new season was a new team with new characters. Now, what makes it a little bit odd is that all of these are technically in a shared universe, but they don't mention the other characters or teams until they have to. Yeah. So they, yeah. so it's still pretty self-contained here. 
But what's interesting about this one is that probably out of all of the post Zordon era shows that I know of anyway, you would know a little bit more about it than I would, is this has some of the closest ties to previous things. I think the only one that comes close is probably Dino Thunder, because one of the characters in that is Tommy. He's one of the main characters. But this one, you, you they have the Astro Mega Ship. They have Alpha Six. They have uh, a character that we'll talk about here in a little bit who comes back. So pretty close ties, I have to say. And the fact that it's a space-themed show because they thought, hey, in space was a space opera. It was popular. Let's keep that going. You know, let's not ruin a good thing, which is interesting because this is based on i don't remember the full title you've seen it i haven't but that's ginga man yeah lost galaxy was based on a sentai called seiju sentai ginga man which that was actually my very first super sentai season uh after i had watched all through as much power rangers as was accessible to me (laughs) i went back and what why the hell are you laughing because you were doing that because that was your consolation prize because I had purchased a copy of Lost Galaxy and it was suddenly unavailable on Amazon and Shout Factory. So they're like, March and I will pay you lots of money to have it. And I said, no. So you watched Giga Man. Oh, oh yeah, that is right. <laughs> that's that why I'm right. laughing. That's, that's right, because I was trying to get... Okay, so after the Netflix purge, I was trying to get my hands on all the physical copies available of the Power Ranger seasons. And well, at the time, Lost Galaxy was temporarily out of print. And well, no, it was just it. out of stock. It was just out of stock. I shouldn't say out of print. No, no, no. Out of stock. It was just out of stock. That was a mis- that was a that was a uh, slip up on my part. It was just out of stock and I couldn't get my hands on it. So you did. We were afraid they were out of print. Mm -hmm. You did. And I couldn't get mine. And, you know, because I'm a because I'm a baby and and I have to have things my way. I tried (laughs) to I tried to buy that cop. I'm not really a baby. Uh, I tried to buy uh, that from you and you refused. So I said, okay, fine. I'll just watch a Ginga Man until you come to your senses and sell me lost galaxy <laughs> which never happened but then it got put back in stock and yeah. i made sure to tell he's like hey look it's back in stock but, but, alone <laughs> and also and all jokes aside seriously the, the ginga man was my first sentai because for me i was one of those fans who was like i don't want to watch super sentai i like power rangers and then um i went back and watched ginga man loved ginga man it's quirky it's fun uh, there's a lot of that quirkiness that makes it into Lost Galaxy, but it does, and it's a little weird when it does. Yeah, it, there's a lot of that quirkiness. Uh, we'll talk about the we'll talk about the swabbies later. But well, well, um, uh, well the thing that the I know we're kind. Of, I don't think this is getting ahead of it, but one of the things the thing you have to understand is that Ginga Man is very different from Lost Galaxy because they wanted another space show. Ginga Man is a nature themed. Mm-hmm. Super uh, Super Sentai, which is kind of weird because Ginga is the Japanese word for galaxy, hence why we have the Galaxy Rangers and it's Lost Galaxy. But or if if anyone here is a fan of Ultraman, you have Ultraman Ginga, so he's mm-hmm. Ultraman Galaxy. But I don't understand why you have a name like that, and it's a nature themed Sentai. But I do know that they fight space pirates in Ginga Man, having not seen Ginga Man yet. 
it's just weird. And actually, the working title for Power Rangers Lost Galaxy was Space Jungle. Uh, which makes a whole heck of a lot of sense, given the fact that, you know, with the Galactabeasts and kind of the overall, like, because some of the nature theme from Gingaman does start bleeding through. Yeah. Um, We've talked before about how some of the, you know, some aspects of the Sentai that don't quite gel with Power Rangers does bleed through. We talked about that with the ill-fated Turbo, but it, it bleeds through on occasion here because for what I know of Gingaman, the 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 Gingaman Rangers mm-hmm. are very in tune with the animals that are their Zord, so they will often behave like the animals. You know, the Blue Ranger will beat his chest like a gorilla sometimes. The one that the most obvious one in here is that the Pink Ranger will act like a cat, like. Yeah. Uh, like like when they do their little like stomp the ground pose thing like she'll actually like dig in the gr- uh, dig in the sand or dig at the ground like a cat it's weird yeah the gingaman and gingaman was like very in- like we said very in tune with nature their their mentor was a tree a tree and i don't, <laughs> and I don't say and i'm not saying that to be facetious or, or or funny about it but their their mentor in gingaman was a tree he was a he was an ancient tree um and it's very interconnected with it's very interconnected with nature and so anyway all that to say lost galaxy and gingaman are completely different but all things considered i think they do a pretty good job of mm-hmm. melding the two together because i and you and i've talked about this um lost galaxy goes a little bit i feel like it, i feel like lost galaxy goes a little underappreciated by the ranger fandom uh just because it is it is sort of that transitionary period from you know everything Mm -hmm. being very serialized from the first half uh, or the first third the first three three four three fourths there we go the first three fourths of the uh saban era the zordon era within the saban era i hope that makes sense within the we'll say the zordon era uh where everything was kind of interconnected and everything kind of worked together and all. And there was this, there was this one main through line that helped bring them together, which was Zordon, which is why it's called the Zordon era with this Saban, like we said, took the more traditional Sentai route where it's new season, new team, new powers, everything brand new. They start from scratch. And the only time there is any connection at all to past teams is when they do their massive crossover, which we will mm-hmm. get to that in this episode. Oh yeah. My God, that crossover is one of the, I'm just saying now is one of the best crossovers in the franchise. I, so far. Yeah. I'm going to save it for when we get there later, but this does start the team up tradition. Yeah. Because I mean, yeah, we had a crossover before cause we had the alien Rangers and the zero Rangers teaming up. But this was the first season where the annual team up became a thing where the team from the previous season comes to the current season and they have to fight a villain together. Yeah. I'm wondering if it was because, you know, Saban knew that they were going in this route. So they had to have some connection to the past to help link it together, to help, influence ratings i don't know so they started the this tradition of doing a team-up episode and this one the inaugural one that we see in this season 
is really epic. It really is. Yeah, and, yeah. and it helps that it's, it helps that it melds two. It helps that it brings in one very high, this very successful season and in, in space. And it melds it with a pretty solid season in lost galaxy. Mm-hmm. And it also helps that they're both space themed. So, mm-hmm. you know, it, it's, there's not that much contrast that's happening with, with that crossover. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Well, we'll get into that as we go. Uh, the other thing that's interesting about Lost Galaxy is from what I read online, the first half of this season had the highest ratings since Mighty Morphin. Which that doesn't necess- that doesn't really surprise me, given the fact that it's coming it's coming right off the heels of uh, Power Rangers in Space. And I remember the build up to Lost Galaxy where they were saying, oh, all this is this is this. They're trying they were trying to capture the um, the same kind of momentum that Zeo had where it was all new team, all new Zords, all new Rangers, new, new, Mm -hmm. new. And it it was trying to kind of build that up. Mm -hmm. And I think that some of that I think that some of those ratings were carryovers from Lost from in space because the fan base was like, oh, they knocked it out of the park within space. Let's see what they can do with Lost Galaxy, which is why Lost Galaxy and Lightspeed Rescue and the uh, Time Force are so beloved and so solid, in my opinion, Mm -hmm. because there was that momentum going into those seasons. Now, it starts to it starts to peter, peter. Yeah, it starts to peter out. Um, a little bit towards the end of this season. And then it tries to kind of re up its momentum with, with heading into the next season, which is Lightspeed rescue. Well, it, we'll get to that, but it, it is interesting to note that the second half, the ratings started to falter, but according to what I was reading online, they say it's because Saban chose to promote Digimon mm-hmm. instead of power Rangers at this point, because that this was when, the Digimon Pokemon Wars kicked into high gear. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. And a, a lot, lot of-, of other shows that were actually very good shows ended up getting the shaft because of it. Another example that's near and dear to the both of us is Godzilla the series, which actually was doing very well, but then it got screwed over by the Pokemon Digimon Wars because the you know, Fox was promoting Digimon hard to compete with the WB. Well, they were the WB at the time because uh, they had Pokemon. You know, it, so this was at the point where Pokemon and Digimon, to a certain extent, came in and they stole the thunder from Power Rangers. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, this was at the height of... They even um, switched the show's time slots. That's oh, they, how much priority they gave to, yeah, they, uh, to Digimon. A lot of times, I think what killed the... I think what killed the ratings for... Um, for these later seasons is because they, they just couldn't really dial into a set time slot. Whereas Mighty Morphin on up through a lot, well on up through in space or turbo had a very, just, this is the time slot. This is where you can watch power Rangers. You know, that's why the ratings kind of remained pretty consistent. Uh, but with these, like in the midst of the anime war, because there was more than just Digimon and Pokemon. Those were the two, those were the two big ones going on. But I remember at this time, a lot of Japanese anime was coming over to the West and being adapted for American audiences and lost galaxy just got lost in the shuffle. It got lost, huh? 
it got lost. Yeah, I, that was really unintentional. Thank you for that. <laughs> <clears throat> You're welcome. But something, one other thing, and this isn't in my notes other than to say that we've already talked about it before. This is a pretty dark and ambitious season. We'll get into more of why it's dark in the thematic section. But one other thing that should be noted is that this, the beginning, I think we had talked about this before. The beginning of Lost Galaxy is the end of your Power Rangers nostalgia. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it does. Yeah, we yeah we talked about this. Um, I fell off uh, around the first half of, I remember watching the premiere of Lost Galaxy. I remember some of these bigger moments, but towards the middle of this season, <clears throat> I, I just, I fell off. Like this is not... This is not a season that I'm incredibly nostalgic for. Now, the reason why um, the reason why I would say Lost Galaxy and and these later seasons would feel nostalgic for me now is because they feel like like Saban Power Rangers has a different feel to it than Disney or Nickelodeon Power Rangers, obviously. Mm -hmm. But that's why that's what makes me nostalgic for Lost Galaxy, Lightspeed and, and Time Force. But as far as like my mainline nostalgia, what I watched as a kid, I fell off here. Like this is this is where I was done because at the time I was in middle school, probably heading into high school at this point. Um, and I had other priorities. Girls. Yeah, girls. Because <laughs> I have because uh, I have said that uh you know, liking Power Rangers and Godzilla and Kaiju did not get me a ton of dates in, in high school. I was a pretty nerdy kid in, in high school. I wasn't one of the cool kids. All right. That's good to know. And with that, let's start diving into the trademark power trip formula here, starting with the theme song. So what's your take on the theme song here? This is this is interesting because this is the first Power Ranger theme song that is not by Ron Wasserman. I think it's pretty solid. It's it's got a, it's it's pretty catchy. Like it, I I rate Power Rangers theme songs by the amount of time I spend kind of singing them or humming them to myself. And it's like Power Rangers, uh, you know. And it, this is a pretty you know this is a pretty whistleable whistleable. I just invented a new word. Yeah. Uh, whistleable song. Um, I like it. It's nothing. I, in my opinion, it's nothing special. It's not go, go power yeah. Rangers or Zio or, uh, even later seasons, uh, mm-hmm. even in, the, even in the Disney era mm-hmm. would have better songs than this, but, mm-hmm. um, it's, it's okay. You know, it's a little less exciting compared to some of the others. I mean, there's very few things I'm nice to turbo about, but the theme song is one of them. And I don't know. It just doesn't quite have the same energy. I've seen some YouTubers who just gush over this song. I'm like, good for you, man. But I don't I know. It doesn't, it doesn't quite work for me as well as the previous theme songs. It really wants to be. It, it at least feels like a Power Ranger theme. I'll say that. It's not Wasserman, but it's at least trying to be a Wasserman, if, if that makes sense. No, that makes perfect sense. Be- you know, it definitely feels like it's part of the family, which is more than I can say for some of the later theme songs. Yeah, it's because, you know, the the Power Ranger themes up to this point had a very distinct sound signature due to Ron Ro- due to Ron Wasserman. 
Um, not and, Deuteronomy. Got it. <laughs> right. Um, but and I and I think Lost Galaxy does try to capture that same feeling with 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 their theme here. Um, it's not like I said, it's not my favorite. Um, I actually but I do I do. And don't at me here. I do actually like it more than the in space theme. Heresy. Anyway, <laughs> I, one interesting critique I've heard of this song is that. I saw a YouTuber who said that he wasn't a big fan of it because he feels like it doesn't really tell you anything about the show. And admittedly, the lyrics are a little nebulous by comparison. Because, you know, with like, if you listen to the Mighty Morphin theme song, it basically just spells everything out for you, <laughs> especially if you listen to the full version. Uh, and then Zio, you know, you know, stronger than before. I mean, that's you know, so it's very clearly communicating things to you in space. Is you know, it's about flying into space because that's exactly what they were doing. Shift into turbo. It all makes sense. This one, it's it's a little ambiguous. I feel like. Yeah, I'm looking at the lyrics here, and I think you're right. Like I've never really sat and li- I've never really sat and thought about the lyrics too um to lost galaxy like the it's like they're pretty nondescript because it's like far far away deep in space to a galaxy you'll go i mean i guess that's like this that call to adventure i guess like yeah, it's which is kind of anticipating what we're going to be talking about in the thematics yeah i mean it's that call to adventure but there's but this one line there lies a key to the answer and the powers you will know i mean that's pretty i mean I guess I guess it's kind of an indirect reference to the galaxy book. Maybe, maybe I, I would say either the, maybe the galaxy book or is it the, or maybe they're talking about the quasar sabers. Um, it's, yeah, it's just, it's hard to pin it down. Yeah. It's, it's but not it, it, as, it's not as, um, it's not as very descriptive as the extended version of the mighty Morphin theme that like takes you on a, 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 an, an auditory and verbal journey of describing what you can expect with power mm-hmm. Rangers. Uh, mm-hmm. the lyrics, uh, the lyrics that I know I'm a horrible fan, but the lyrics of the original song are escaping me right now. But I know that that one is very descriptive. They've got a power, power and a force, and force that you've that never, never seen, seen before. before. Okay, we're done. We've we've okay. already talked about that theme. So no <laughs> one can ever, can ever take, take them, them down. down. Okay. <laughs> All right. We're sorry, people. We're sorry. We're sorry. We're sorry. This is not power karaoke. I <laughs> The power lies on their side. Okay, I'm I'm done. Yeah, yeah. I promise. Yeah, well, like I said, it definitely feels like it's of the family. The the tune is catchy. The music is catchy. Oh, absolutely. The lyrics, not quite as good. I would argue that the next couple Saban seasons have more memorable theme songs overall. There are some fans who are going to take me to task over that, but I'm sorry. It's just the case here. I mean, it is like the, the next two, the, the next two are pretty humble, are pretty memorable, pretty hummable, pretty singable. I don't know, whatever we can move on. Yeah. The theme, the same, the theme song is good. It's just not great. Yeah, for sure. All right. And now let's talk about our Rangers here. And this one, this was going to be interesting. We're going to have to touch on some, uh, some of those darker aspects. I feel like with this. Because we technically have two of one color. 
Yeah. yeah well, uh, we'll get there in a second. But starting with Leo. <laughs> Leo. Our Red Ranger. Our by Danny Slavin. I hope I said oh. that right. Slavin, Slavin, I'm not sure. Danny Slavin, I think. Um, yeah. Our wide-eyed... Uh, and our wide-eyed adventurer that just wants to, he just has this sense of, I don't know, adventure about him. He's just, yep. he just wants, he's, he's, he's wanting to start a new life, which is something we'll talk about more in the thematic section, but th- that's what, that's one of the things I really like. There's some start, very Star Trekian aspects to this. And one of them being that this is not set on earth. It's <clears> set on a mass. I don't know how they found the tech to build this thing but this massive city-sized space colony that has multiple domes attached to its terra venture and so it's got a city in a central hub and that central hub looks very much like a star at the star base model that they use in the old star trek movies yeah (laughs) and then it's got all of these domes with different environments attached to it like a, Which there's is a mountain a, dome, a forest dome, and I can't remember what dome. Other, a beach dome. Uh, the the level of technology you would need to make this is just astonishing, and it's one of those things where like, how in the heck is this possible? But then it's one of those things where like, just let it go because it's such a cool concept. We're, <laughs> I mean, we're we're led to believe that there's not like a there's not a massive time skip here from no, it's from, not. It's maybe a year. At maybe yeah maybe a year or two long enough for you know long enough for the astro mega ship to have time to be retired and placed in a museum which is i don't know if they even give a time frame even when kai and damon are trying to fire up the the astro mega ship i don't think did they ever say how long it had been out nope. of commission i don't nope. think so nope it's it's a little bit nebulous which is fine but anyway so we have leo this wide-eyed young man you know, it's, I, I see him and I just think of, you know, the song, Go West, Young Man. You know, yeah, that's what he's doing. He's he's wanting to start a new life. We don't exactly know why he's desperate to get on the Terra Venture because we find out in the first few episodes, only select people who have applied to get on the colony can get on the colony. Mm-hmm. And he's he wants desperately to get on the colony, probably, like I said, just to start a new life. And they won't let him on. And then... In a excellent bit of writing here, I think this is one of the things we're going to talk about is how the writing in the Saban era has really been growing up with the audience, because one of the things I really like about this, and it's a little bit similar, it's kind of fresh in my mind because we just talked about Green with Evil on the on the Monster Island Film Vault, but we get a scene that's a little bit like when, you know, like uh, with Tommy, when he gets to be Captain America for a hot second with a trash can. <laughs> trash can lid <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but uh, we get a scene like that where leo helps an old lady who mm-hmm. is supposed to get onto the colony and but she's being accosted by muggers and he helps her out and it, we we are shown what kind of a character leo is mm-hmm. we're not yeah. told we are shown and it's so he not only do we know that he'll protect a, an old lady and he's a capable fighter, but he says, Hey, you know, go get on the colony. I don't get to go and things like that. And so he's, a, he's pretty humble. And then we also find out that he can be a little bit sneaky because <laughs> the old lady tries to give him her pass. And he says, Nope, I don't want it. But then 
the thing that's interesting is that Leo spends a good chunk of the season wrestling with whether or not he's worthy of being a Power Ranger. Because he was technically, this is the thing I find interesting. He wasn't quote unquote chosen by the Quasar Sabres, which is where the Power Rangers, it's a very Arthurian sword in the stone sort of a thing. Because the very Quasar much, Sabres yeah. are their source of their power. And there are these legendary weapons that can only be pulled out by those that I guess you know, who, who have are been worthy. quote unquote chosen, you know, who are worthy. <clears throat> and Leo didn't pull it out in the, in the premiere. It was his brother, uh, Mike. You, mm -hmm. you, your favorite new your new favorite power ranger because name affinity right <laughs> good on you you only had to wait seven seasons to get a name affinity with a power ranger i had to wait all the way up till beast morphers <laughs> but at least they were nice enough to make him orange and i like orange so yeah, I might know. be willing to forgive you there because of but, your red hair. It's because of your red hair. Um, I, I don't, this is not red hair, sir. <laughs> oh, I'm sorry. It's gray. Sorry. Sorry. I'm getting my, oh, I'm getting my yeah, color. Yeah, yes. If by gray, you mean dark blonde, then sure. We'll go with that. But, uh, <laughs> but yeah, you know, you're right. It's like Leo was not chosen. Like when, yeah. when, but here's the way I look at it. The saber didn't choose him. If we want to say that they never say who does the choosing. It's mm -hmm. not like some sort of a deity or uh, an ancient mentor figure or something like that. It's just, we were chosen, though we just don't say what. I guess the universe chosen, you know, the nebulous universe. The mm -hmm. morphing, they could have just said the morphing grid or whatever. But his brother chose him. That's the way I look at it. It's like, Leo wasn't chosen by the saber, but he was chosen by his brother. Mm -hmm. Because Mike, in a recurring motif in this season... It looks like Mike dies at the end of part two of the premiere. Mm -hmm. And there's a lot of death in this season. <laughs> yeah, it's uh, I wrote this in my notes and I'm sure we'll 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 unpack it a little bit more uh, later on. But Lost Galaxy and because you, you mentioned it just now, which made me think about it. Uh, Lost Galaxy really begins to feel like it's growing up with its audience mm -hmm. in space was get was I think started it. But mm -hmm. this continued it for sure. Oh yeah. Oh yeah, absolutely. Yeah, and, and it just and it just continues to progress even from mm -hmm. Lost Galaxy all the way up through the rest mm -hmm. of the Sabon. Yeah, because these are not teenagers. No, that they're young adults. Abundantly clear. None of these characters are in high school. They're mm -hmm. all young adults. Some of them are even in the military, technically. Yeah. So they at least have to be eighteen. They at least yeah. have to be eighteen years old. If not in their in their uh early twenties. Yeah. Yeah. So they, these are not teenagers with attitude. No, <laughs> these no. are young adults with attitude, <laughs> but yeah. So Leo spends a lot of the season wondering if he's worthy of living up to his older brother because his older brother was chosen. Well, what makes him think he could be a power ranger? Yeah. Yeah. yeah, because he looks up he he looks up to Mike. Like Mike is his mentor. And I and mm -hmm. I want to and I want to believe that he wants to be on Terra Venture to be with his brother, to be, you know, to be on this adventure with his mm -hmm. brother. And he just mm -hmm. wants to be away from Earth. And mm -hmm. we're never really told um the, we're never really told what's wrong with Earth. There's nothing wrong yeah, with it, Earth. It's no, it's not a case of something's wrong with Earth. It's more just a, it's that, again, we're, we're jumping ahead a little bit. It's more like just this frontiersman mindset of let's go out there. <laughs> yeah, because <laughs> let's they find a new home because let's the line over 
because the line says the, there's the line at the beginning. I think it's episode. I think it's episode two. It's where where the captain says, "Take a good look at it now, because you probably will never see it again." Uh, spoiler warning: Some of them will. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, uh, so, yeah. Some of them will. But also, before we continue on, I think this is as good a place as any to talk about the costumes for this season. As much as I like these characters and I like this season, I even, and you know, I like a lot of the aesthetics of this season. I'm not a huge fan of these costumes. I it's not that they're terrible. They're they're not. No, there are worse Power Ranger costumes out there. But They're I don't not like terrible. I, I'm not a graphic designer or an artist, but I feel like the, there's two main things I don't like about these suits. Mm-hmm. One, and this is kind of the broader issue, I feel like the color balance is way off. There's too much white on these suits. Because the basically the entire torso is white. There's none of their ranger color on it. Because that's a thing. If you look at the aesthetics of ranger suits, they typically will have some white accents on them. You look at the Mighty Morphin suits, and they have oh, white accents. But there's still plenty of their actual ranger color there to balance it out. Mm-hmm. One of the things that makes the original Superman costume, not when they got DC got rid of the trunks, because that threw it off, but one of the brilliant things about the original Superman costume is that it is one of the most color balanced superhero costumes you will ever see. Mm-hmm. And the previous Ranger suits felt much better in terms of the color balance. There's way too much white on this. It doesn't have enough of their Ranger colors. I feel like, so it, it reminds me, me it reminds, well, it kind of reminds me a little bit, a little bit of the die Ranger suits. Cause the die Ranger suits never got used. Uh, the, the Dye Dye Ranger, Ranger suits still look better than this. Well, the Dye, no, I'm not. I'm not saying they don't. I'm just. I'm just saying that the Die Ranger suits had a lot of white on them as well. Um, what really bugs me, honestly, it's not so much the the color balance that bugs me. It's the it's the um, uncentered chevron. Uh, the uh, the Charlie Brown chevron. <laughs> yes, the uncentered. Uh, that that just. As a as a designer, as someone who sets in front of as a designer by trade, as an art director by trade, it really bugs me that those chevrons are not centered. I don't even understand what those chevrons are supposed to be. I don't I know. Just, I just look at them. It's like it's just there. I think it's just there. I, I don't. If I'm trying to remember from, I'm trying to remember from Ginga Man. If they if they made an if they if there was like a design cue or something that was that was taken for yeah, the I, suits but i don't think so i don't, I don't know but so. the chevrons are also on the are also on the tops of their boots and their and on their gloves and they're i think they're fine there but the but i don't understand the chevron on the chest it just looks weird and maybe that's the american superhero sensibilities coming out in me because american superheroes very traditionally have big logos on their chests, mm. and this just it just doesn't work. And I feel like that, like even the funny diamonds that are on the, that are on the, like the mighty Morphin suits, they're not logos. Well, they were kind of in the movie where they would put their, uh, their uh, power coins on there, which I wish they had kept actually. But so I don't know, maybe it's just a difference in sensibilities, but I just, 
I don't like, at least on the main Rangers, the Magna Defender, which we'll talk about a little bit later, his costume is great. Yeah. To their credit, though, I will say this to their credit. These are very distinct suits. You know, this is Lost Galaxy. I feel like uh, I I feel like certain seasons fall into the trap of very being very samey, like they're very like kind of like they're very similar to one another. Mm -hmm. Uh, It doesn't help that they keep recycling the same gimmicks. Yeah, it's like uh, because Time Force and Lightspeed Rescue have a very similar aesthetic to their suits. Uh, so you could you could almost get those two confused. You can't confuse uh, Lost Galaxy with any other season because True. these suits are so distinct. But sometimes, but distinctness does not always equal quality. <laughs> it doesn't. No, it doesn't. It doesn't. I agree. But I'm just saying to their, just trying to find a nice, just trying to find a positive about these suits. Yeah. They are recognizable. They are very distinct. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, and that really is the, the, the torso section is the only part that really throws me off. The helmets are fine. The boots and the gloves are fine. It's just the torso that just messes I would say it up the, for me. I would say the only part of these, these, uh, um, these suits that are not super distinguishable that kind of look like everything else are the helmets. Like I'm not a big fan of these helmets. The, the helmets are different depending on which, uh, depending on which Galacta beast that they have. Cause it's you true. can tell that the visors are different. Yeah. No, that's no. What I'm saying is like these helmets compared to some other animal themed Sentai or some other animal themed Power Rangers, they, if you, you have to really know your stuff to know that this is. Yeah. Well, technically the in space helmets only have very, other than their colors, they only oh, it's have very, subtle. very, it's very subtle. subtle differences, unless it's mega Ranger where they have the funny little, <clears throat> Uh, the funny little logos that will pop up on the helmets and you rarely saw those in the, on in space. Mm, So, you know, it's, but like I said, but those suits had the advantage of just being, I think much more, uh, being much better designed so that even though, yeah, the helmets look almost exactly the same other than their colors, the suits still looked better Mm -hmm. overall. But anyway, back to our team. So Kai, (laughs) <laughs> our blue ranger played by archie cow is that how you say it yes k-a-o cow archie cow archie co because yeah, i don't know but anyway bad potential puns aside i'm not hitting the buttons for those because i don't want to make fun of this guy's name <laughs> so our blue ranger kai i actually really like kai he's one of the military members in this he's part of I guess you could say, I guess a space force. He was space force before space force. <laughs> yeah, I guess you could say that. Yeah. And the, what's, he's a nice foil to Leo. Cause Leo is a little, is much more free spirited. We don't even know what he does for a job. As far as we know, <laughs> Leo is a freeloader. He tries for a few episodes to be an officer and it doesn't work. <laughs> but uh, Kai is a very, by the book sort of a guy he very much is about following rules and regulations and things like that he's a little bit of a stick in the mud especially at first which is part of his arc i think this season as a character because he starts to soften as time goes on 
Yeah, he, he becomes a much better co-captain. Yes, and he learns that a lot of times there may not be a regulation for what you're dealing with. So you got to think on your feet, and there's even there's actually a very a very good uh, focus episode where the the captain is being manipulated by the bad guys, and Kai has to realize that he can't just blindly follow orders. Mm-hmm. If he's suspicious about something, he needs to basically break away from the military hierarchy and say, no, I'm not doing that because it doesn't make sense, which I honestly think there's some that may argue against me with this. I think that's what makes the best soldiers in real life. Yes. Obedience is important and, you know, respecting rank and hierarchy. It's also important, but I do think you need to have enough of a conscience to say, no, Yeah, (laughs) I'm not carrying out those orders. And I think Kai learns that. Yeah, he does. He has good Kai has very good uh, discernment and judgment skills, which Mm -hmm. I think are just as important as knowing rules, knowing regulations, knowing the nitty gritty stuff. But having good discernment as a leader, that's extremely important. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And and like I said, Leo, by nature, being the Red Ranger is still technically the team leader. But Kai, I think, like I said, is a he's a good second in command to have with you. Because he can offer, he can give you a different kind of judgment, I think. And you know, having somebody who's good about following rules and regulations can help to keep you focused. It's probably, it's kind of like the yin and the yang. <clears throat> it's kind of like the yin and the yang um, between Leo and, and Kai. Because Leo, like we said, is very more, is more like free spirited. And he's just kind of like this this very emotionally driven adventurer and Kai is not, he's this, you know, straight, he's the straight man, you know? Yeah. Although he's also a very good martial artist. Very much. He might be the best martial artist out of all of the, uh, of this team. You got anything else on Kai or can we move on to our next Ranger? Yeah, let's move on to let's <laughs> nothing, nothing much on Kai. Kai will come up in conversation a little bit later when we yep. discuss themes, but yep. uh, um, let's Damon. talk about Damon. Damon, yeah. played by Reggie Roll or Rolly, Rolly. Ro- funny I enough, uh, funny yeah. enough, uh, <laughs> Reggie here actually married the main villain. For a while. Oh, that's right. Yeah, he married Amy right. Miller. But we'll talk about Trakina in a little bit. But uh, I like Damon. Damon's got he's a Green Ranger, mm-hmm. so we get a we get a Green Ranger here. I think isn't he noteworthy because he's like the first Black Green Ranger or something like that. And, uh. The yes, yeah, I think yeah, he is the first black. Yeah, he is the first black. Yeah. Green so because we, we have a green ranger this season instead of a black ranger, that's one of the mm-hmm. colors that kind of uh, Super Sentai will kind of swap back and forth. And so I, I like David because he's a he's a very down to earth, blue collar sort of a guy. Uh, we I get the best way to describe him is that he's an engineer, so he's basically the Scotty. Yeah, <laughs> he's the Scotty of the on the on Terra Ventia. <laughs> That sounded more British than Scottish, but anyway, <laughs> I just the only thing that would have made it better is if he had said something about that he couldn't give the Astro Mega Ship any more power. Although there, there is an episode where they have to do that for Terra Venture, so I guess he still gets to kind of do that. Sort of, yeah, yeah. He probably goes through the least amount of changes in this, but I don't think it was ne- it was necessary because, like I said, he's really down to earth. Like I said, you know, if, if, no pun intended. <laughs> considering this is a space show but he's the kind of guy who can just be like okay fellas 
<laughs> we're getting a little crazy here. You well, know? he's the uh, he's the everyman. Yep. He's the he's the everyman of this. Of this he's season. very much like a grease monkey. He dresses like a grease monkey and he's used to getting his hands dirty because that's yeah. just the kind of guy he is. Yeah, he's blue collar. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Damon is Damon is just this very blue collar, likable guy. Um, and you know, he doesn't go through the biggest like story arc. He has moments. He has, he definitely has his moments throughout this season, but he doesn't go through as like a significant story arc as, uh, maybe a character that we'll talk about later Kendrick's, but, um, but yeah, it's, I like Damon. I like Damon. I, I like Damon as the green ranger. Um, I think he's, I think he's just a solid, he's a solid member of the team. And there's really mm-hmm. not much else I can say about him. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And now we get to, uh, we get to the, uh, to the girls. We get to, oh boy, Maya. <laughs> oh boy. Serena Vincent. Do we want to, do we want to, do we want to recycle that too hot for TV joke here? Uh, uh, it's, she's not quite on the same level as or, Dulcia. Or, well, it did, I don't know if it really applies here because uh, the things that would make her too hot for TV did not make it into Power Rangers. We'll yeah, say. no. Some of the things she did outside of Power Rangers. Uh, yeah. Uh, fun yeah. fact, she's the only Ranger I've ever seen naked. Moving on. <laughs> 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 so serena vincent uh, uh, maya uh, she's a jungle girl dressed mm-hmm. accordingly she's from miranoi which is where all of the quasar sabers are and apparently no one ever thought to let her or actually when we see the montage of warriors trying to pull out the sabers it's just there were no girls I wonder why yeah, it, that makes that makes me wonder that that society must have been very like patriarchal. You know, it's like only the only the guys can be the heroes, which is oh. and then bold. two women pull out a couple of them, you know, including that, a native. Oh, yeah. yeah she that, spent her whole life hearing about the stories and see people try to pull them out. That must have been a real blow to all the beta males in the room. Uh, well, they were. They, none of them were seeing that at that point because they, they, they were all turned. They were all turned to stone. Yeah, so. they were all turned to stone, which we'll talk about because that was kind of outrageous and gets a little bit retconned later. But A little bit. Just yeah. a little. Yeah. But anyway, so uh, Maya, I guess, I don't know. Is she, would you say her Kendricks are the heart of the team? It's a little hard to feel. Maya's a little bit weird. I know people like Maya and I understand why people like Maya. She's very power ranger pretty for sure but well no she's it's, it's weird because no she's, i think she's very naturey and she's always she has it's a little bit nebulous it's a bit like mickey sagusa and the heisei godzilla films where they mm-hmm. say she has special powers but they're they never quite define what they are and it's a very nebulous and it's a little bit nebulous here where she keeps having these like she's sensing things in the universe and all of these things it's like you're being incredibly vague about this because what it's you're getting convenient. is incredibly vague. It's, it's not it's that plot, helpful. It's, it's plot convenience. But um, I would say that the, the cure, the, the, the duo of much like how Kai and Leo are the yin to each other's yang. I would say that Kendrick's and Maya are the yin to each other's yang as well. Whereas Maya is a little bit more on the, 
Maya is more on like the spiritual. She's more in touch with nature. She's very like sensitive to things, you know, whereas Kendrick's, and we'll talk about her in a minute. She's very like analytical and right brain. You know, she's very like by the numbers. She's you mean very left like brained? Left brain. There we go. Left. She's very like, she's very left brain. She's like a very by the numbers type of character. And I think they contrast and complement each other. Well, the two girls do, uh, in, in that regard, because they do play off of each other. Well, like one of the, like one of the scenes, one of the episodes that I'm thinking of, I can't remember the name of the episode, but it's where, um, Kendrick's bakes a cake and Maya having no, like, having no reference to like cultural importance to what a birthday cake is. Uh, yeah. Because, because Maya is like one of our mutual friends doesn't celebrate birthdays because yeah. her culture just didn't. Yeah. Her culture just didn't. So there's that, there's that like very, um, oh, what's the word I'm trying to think. It's like that very like kind of wide eyed, um, not night, na- not, is it naive? Okay. So not, maybe a, there's, there's that- a little bit of naivete here, but it's mostly because she just doesn't know what, the universe is like outside of her planet. Right. Because she's just, she, she doesn't know anything outside of Miranoi. Like that's all she's ever known, Mm -hmm. but she has, but she has to know that there is to some degree, something bigger out there than E than E about said Edenoi Miranoi. Um, that there is something bigger out there than, than Miranoi. There is a wider world out there because she does grasp the concept of the quasar sabers and their importance to the universe. Yes. Yes. I just, and she does have some good focus episodes. I just, she keeps her plot convenience sense just keeps tingling a little too much and it's a little too undefined. She definitely makes my senses tingle. I will tell you that. Moving on. So <laughs> <laughs> we're, we're now I, I, I'm uh, so now we're actually getting into I'm going to admit this starting I, to a lesser extent, Turbo, definitely on in space and starting now and then a future season in the Sabana era. We're actually starting to get to some of my favorite pink rangers, admittedly. <laughs> This show has two of them because <laughs> mm. it has two pink rangers. Well, first we have Kendricks played by Valerie Vernon. And I, she's Kendricks is you. I think is a little bit unique because she's technically basically the token nerd this season, but she's mm. the pink ranger and it's the girl. Which and, is a nice change up. Typically the token nerd in the power ranger season ta- happens to be the bull happens to be male. Mm-hmm. Um, but this is a nice change. It's nice to see a nerdy girl for mm-hmm. coming to Power Rangers. Yeah. yeah, and I she's she's very bookish. She's in the military, but she's very bookish. She's mm-hmm. a bit of an analyst. She she's constantly studying things. So you know she's unique in that way. But she's also very much I think what you want in a Pink Ranger. Very much. She yeah. she's she has a very feminine presence to her. She's very compassionate. She's very kind. And she's always looking out for everybody. I mean, she yeah. even she's one of the first she's, people who's like, hey, Leo's not so bad. You know, she's like he's trying to sneak on the Terra Venture. And he's like, she's like, you know what, kid? Yeah, you can do that. I feel like I feel like, like, no, he can't be here. <laughs> yeah, she uh, she basically lies. on She she basically lies to the airport police. I guess the airport. I guess you'd call the airport police. Um, 
the airport marshals to uh, to she lies to them when they ask about have they seen Leo and you get a little bit of a nod to that kind of brewing relationship. Yeah, actually, um, I read and there's a reason why it didn't happen. And well, I think we can talk about it in more depth when we get to the awards, but we'll have to acknowledge it here. But they had plans, the creators had plans for Leo and Kendricks to get into a relationship. And you see signs of it mm -hmm. early on. But, but as wonderful a character as Kendricks is, you know, uh, with how intelligent and kind and compassionate, like everything and beautiful, everything that you want in a Pink Ranger. Unfortunately, if, Lost Galaxy ran into some unforeseen behind-the-scenes issues, one of which was Valerie Vernon was diagnosed with leukemia. So she ended up having to leave the show. And it's really unfortunate because, you know, the first time I watched it, like I said, I wasn't the biggest fan of Kendrick's. Second time around, I really grew to like her. And it's difficult to see her leave. And... As we mentioned before, we hinted at, there's a lot of death in this season. Yeah. One of which is involves Kendricks, and we'll get into that a little bit later. That yeah, had to have been a shocking moment. But again, like I said, we'll unpack that later. But I, but thankfully, thankfully, she recovered from the leukemia. So she's a she's a hero in real life, too. Mm-hmm. Oh, absolutely. Uh, as you know, as someone who's had several family members who have had cancer over the last several years, it is it is not a fun experience watching your loved one go through that. So kudos to her for being able mm -hmm. to to battle back from that. <laughs> it's also a bit of a, I just realized it's a little bit of a theme because the actress who played Dulcia in the movie, she got cancer, had to leave, beat it and then came back well, <laughs> to make the movies. So. But you know there are there are some really there are some really unique qualities about Kendricks, but they're also um, there they're, like we were talking about there are some there are some characterizations that are very common among Pink Rangers. One of which being uh, compassionate. Mm -hmm. uh, Pink Rangers typically be typically typically Pink Rangers tend to be compassionate, very mm -hmm. feminine. Mm -hmm. Yeah, um, they are the the Pink Rangers tend to be the more traditionally feminine. Right. The Yellow Rangers, because the thing is, is not all the Yellow Rangers in Super Sentai are female. Right. A lot of them are male. They started doing more female Rangers, I think, because of Power Rangers. Mm -hmm. But the Yellow Rangers tend to be a little bit more on the tomboyish side, which is fine. It's fine. But... Yeah. So, but Kendrick's, I do think very much embodies that, but like I said, unfortunately about, I'd say about two thirds of the way through the season, you'll notice that once you get to around, I think like episode 25 or so, once you start getting closer to, you know, the 30th episode, you start noticing that Valerie Vernon is not in the show nearly as much. They try to kind of write and film around her probably because they were using body doubles. Yeah. I'm guessing. And she just wasn't available because she was she was dealing with leukemia and going through treatment and all that. So she just couldn't do it. So they had these poor writers had to figure out what to do. They had to come up with a replacement. I think it's bold, the, the fact that they didn't just write her off the show like they might have done before. You're like, poor Rocky. Oh, my gosh, you hurt your leg and now a child is replacing you. They did the bold move and they killed her, but we'll unpack that a little bit later. 
And you're gonna cut me loose again. <laughs> I'm 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 gonna cut you loose again in just a minute because the, the and we'll talk about this in more we'll talk about this in depth more later. But um, what what they did to transition, what they did to kind of transition uh, Kendricks into who we're gonna be talking about next was a little bit of a swerve. Because the death of Kendricks happened in, uh, I think, the Power of Pink. Not the Power of Pink. Not that's not the name of the episode. No, it is the Power uh, of Pink. Is it? The, is it the Power it of Pink? It is the Power of Pink because too much okay. peak energy is dangerous. So Never dangerous mind. it kills people. <laughs> I'm I'm getting it confused with the three parter from season three. <laughs> a different um, shade of pink. Different shade of pink. Thank you. Um, because that's that. your Pink Ranger. That's my pink ranger. Yeah, that is that is my pink ranger. That's your um, <laughs> right. So I they were they were doing at the the they they kind of did a little swerve on us because and since she's not a main cast member, I can mention her here. Cassie comes back as one of the as the pink in space ranger, and you're led to believe that maybe Cassie will stick around. That was the original idea. They wanted Cassie to replace her, but then there was a contract dispute. With that, because they weren't going to make her a full cast member, she was just going to be a guest star, and so mm -hmm. she's like, "No, not doing it." Yeah. And then, funny enough, because they're scrambling to try to fix this, and the thing is, is it's the transition is handled so expertly, you would almost think that they had planned this, and they didn't. Yeah, yeah this was <laughs> but pretty spur of the moment. Yeah, it was very spur of the moment, and a lot of times that screws things up. These writers were so talented, they made it seem natural. But I think it's partly because they were tapping into an unused story idea from what I was here, uh, seeing online in some mm -hmm. uh, some of the YouTube essay video essays that I was looking at for this. Yeah. Because now do you get to cut me loose? <laughs> I, uh, fine, go. My girl's back. <laughs> Caron comes back. And it's amazing. <laughs> Melody Perkins, she comes back. And as far as I know, she is the only main villain who got to be a ranger. That's nuts. <laughs> they, there are, there, ha, there are villains that we will see later. Uh, and the, the daughters from, or sorry, the nieces from Ninja Storm. Um, they become ninjas but they don't become Rangers. So they get close to it in the, in future seasons, but this is the only season that I know of that, an, that an actual mainline villain gets to become a Ranger later. Yes. And I am here for it. <laughs> I mean, it's a really interesting, it's a really interesting swerve. In fact, I, you know, I, Knowing that we almost got Cassie, yeah, you know, Cassie being uh, picking up the mantle and being the lost galaxy pink for a while, that would have made sense. In fact, that 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 is what you are led to believe. Um, but uh, but this just feels so much better. It feels so right. It fits in so well because. At this point, Corone's story is one of redemption. Mm -hmm. We got Absolutely. some of we got some of that in in space, mm -hmm. but now we're seeing her post astronoma dealing with all of this, and they give her a couple of very nice focus episodes. Yeah, to go along with it, I do wish that we could have 
had the Space Rangers around just a little bit longer so uh, Andros could have seen his sister as a ranger. And we could have had a cool little team up with that because that would have been great. I don't even think they've quite done that in the Boom Studios comics. I think that gets I'm trying to remember the timeline because you and I both have read uh, The Psychopath. Yeah. And I'm trying to remember the timeline. I think that is immediate. It's, it's immediately, after Lost Galaxy. It's after Lost Galaxy. That's right. Because there is there is language in there that where she mentions her being the pink Lost Galaxy Ranger. Yeah. Or the pink yeah. Galaxy Ranger. Yeah, that's the only real black mark I can put against it. But she gets to come back. She gets to be a ranger. It's an epic moment. And I will admit after the first couple of episodes that she's in, I feel like she's just a part of the team at that point. But then again, this it's much less focused on doing uh, on the characters after that. And uh, at least doing focus episodes. And it's more focused on just everything that's going on, which is fine. Yeah. But I just, I love it. And it goes back... Not only do we have this wonderful redemption story, because it seems Corone is, I think, the only villain, one of the few villains, I should say, where you could do an arc like this as uh, as a redemption story and have it make sense, mm-hmm, considering sure. how many ties that she has to the Rangers and her history and everything. It feels very natural, mm-hmm. and it just deepens her character she continues to be one of my favorite characters in the entire franchise for multiple reasons (laughs) but what's interesting is that they were tapping into an unused story from what i understand because there was talk of making corona power ranger during in space for a hot second they considered it yeah, they were they were going to make her the purple a ranger. purple ranger purple ranger yeah and yeah. it's it, you see that in I can't you you know the name of the episode probably before I will the episode where she takes off the astronomer garb and she's dressed in the fatigues of the in space yeah I don't I uh when it, there's several episodes around that time that are coming to mind I can't pin down which one it is but I know exactly what you're talking about and and she's her accents on there are purple. So mm-hmm. there was, they, they thought about it. Then they went a different direction. I do think it was probably a better idea to go that direction, but I think they're just like, Hey, do you remember that idea we had for last season? Let's do it now. Yeah. yeah <laughs> but she'll be let's... pink instead of purple. Right. Yeah. <laughs> Cause we already got the pink suit. <laughs> yeah. And we, we, you know, we're a little like, even though we're, we're successful at this time, uh, we're still a little bit tight on budget. So, uh, let's make her pink. Yes. And it's great. I love it. I love it. Now, now we'll save that part for, uh, for the awards, but, uh, I do think they undermine this a tiny bit, not for Corone, but for Kendrick's at the end, but you know, we'll get into that later. So yeah, anyway. they, they do that. It is a little bit of, they do undermine it's They do undermine the weight of Kendrick's leaving, but you know, given the, you know, given the fact that Kendrick's is, it, it is a really feel good moment when we get to see Kendrick's yeah. come back. Yeah. Anyway, we'll I, talk I about it during a, the awards. I don't have a problem with that, but anyway, go ahead. Yeah. yeah. We'll talk about the awards. So now let's talk about the supporting cast. Now there's not a whole lot to talk about with the supporting cast. Cause most of these are returning characters. I mean, we got a cameo from bulk and skull. No more skull bulk and doctor and professor phenomenus are in it a little bit. And it feels a, honestly, it feels a little extraneous, although it's kind of funny seeing bulk become a barkeep. Mm-hmm. 
You must be over 21. He gets to be Ernie for a hot second. I guess that makes sense. Yeah. I wish they had used him a little bit more. Yeah. And I'm glad that when they did the bit, it was like, Dr. F- uh, Professor Phenomenus, did we forget something in its skull? Yeah. And thank God they didn't play that out too long. And then they realized, like, oh my gosh, we forgot skull. Funny thing is, this bulk does come back again later, which just complicates his the character's history. But I don't want to say that they're an afterthought in this, but they're almost an afterthought because <laughs> well, they don't it's, show it's up very way, often. It's a way to it's a way to tie it's that it's that slight nod to the past. Yeah, it's one of several it, tethers to yeah, it's, the Zordon yeah. era. Yeah. So you yeah, so you had that and yeah, you know, they're there. Not a whole lot to say. They had they had their biggest and best moment in countdown. In yeah. yeah, in countdown. So this is it's hard to top that. So the fact that they're still here is a little bit weird. And then we have Alpha Six and Decca because they get the uh, the Astro Mega ship. I, there are points I kept wondering, like, did no one figure out how to make the thing turn into a Zord? Because they only do that for one episode in the crossover. And there were points where it would have come in handy, but Decca is there, Alpha Six is there. So again, we have tethers to the previous given era. The amount, given the amount of actual Saban footage in Lost Galaxy, I'm surprised they didn't. Yeah. Yeah. It must have been a budgetary thing, I'm guessing. So, you know, we've talked about those characters already. So let's talk about the supporting cast member who has the greatest importance, and that's Commander Stanton. Yeah. The, who's basically the Benjamin Sisko of this season because he, except he's not black, but he's the commander of the space station. And he's basically the closest thing we have to a mentor this season. Yeah, I mean, these, you know, the Rangers are pretty much kind of just figuring things out on their own. So I wouldn't even, I don't know. I don't even know if I'd call Commander Stanton a mentor character, really. He's just a elevated support, support supporting yes, cast member. But he does help out several of the Rangers in their, I guess you could say their, you know, non-Ranger life. I get, I mean, Particularly yeah. Kai and Leo. Yeah, I guess, I guess. And, and to a certain extent, Kendrick's, because she's, yeah in the because she's in the space force i mean sure i guess but like you don't you you don't see him very often and you know the rangers are old the rangers are kind of just figuring things out for themselves they are but he does play some important roles he does and i i there's some really there's i mentioned before there's a kai focus episode where he gets controlled by the bad guys which was kind of interesting i feel like he brings a lot of gravity to the show. I would almost venture to say that Maya is more of a mentor character or a, or a senior classman character than, than, com- than commander Stanton. I can see my that. Opinion. I could see that. But like I said, he brings a lot of gravitas to a lot of the situations they're dealing, particularly in the finale. Yeah. Uh, I watched a video essay that talked about lost galaxy where they, they felt like there's a scene in the finale where he brings some quote unquote Star Trek pathos <laughs> to the situation. I there's he even had a line that almost made it into my awards about how you know the Terra Venture was supposed to be this shining capital city and now it's a shipwreck. 
you know, he feels that, you know, that's why with that Star Trek sort of pathos where the commanders of the ships are very attached to those ships, you know, they're losing the ship is like losing a piece of themselves. Yeah. And they're very attached to themselves. Like they're, it's like, it's like a family member to them or or, Mm -hmm. or a child or something, you know, it's yeah. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Well, it's like, you know, for Captain Kirk, he thought of the Enterprise as this, as the basically, it's like this beautiful woman that he, you know, that he was in love with. Whereas Scotty, it was like his kid. You know, yeah. he has to take care of it. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so it's a little bit different depending on the, which character you're talking about. But they are all very attached in some form or another. It's so so I like Stanton. I like Stanton too. I don't have nothing. I like. I don't have nothing against him. I don't have nothing against his character. I, I think he. I think he adds something to this series because you have to have this you is, have to have the commander of the ship in the series. Mm-hmm. I just don't view him as necessarily a mentor as a like a as what as what we know of a mentor mm-hmm. character, or at least a strong mentor character, as so much as just an elevated cast member, an elevated supporting cast member. Yeah, I can understand that. Although Stanton, in many ways, becomes the face of an element that we've never really seen a power rangers before which is a little astonishing and that's a military presence yeah uh we we've seen we we've seen shades of it but never this much never this much although apparently the the terra venture space force stole all of their uniforms from starship troopers <laughs> that's not a joke that is literally what they did they stole the costumes from Starship Troopers. I mean, no, it's I'm I'm laughing because it is true. Like it is true. You and I've talked about you and I talked about this when we talked about that episode about how different it and how different it felt. And I remember us talking about how they did take those costumes from Star from Starship Troopers, and it just it's just so weird. It's just I guess such it's, a weird I guess thing. it's weirdly appropriate because the bad guys are bugs. Yeah, I mean, yeah, it, it's a very like that episode is so unlike that is like a very le- I feel like that's a left turn for Power Rangers. Like, are you is, talking that, about the rescue mission? The rescue mission. Yeah. OK, no, it's it, no, it's not just the rescue mission. It's all of it because you see the the soldiers throughout the entire season. Right. But I'm well, I'm specifically zeroing in on the rescue mission, that the rescue show, mission, the, which is. Which it feels has to be the very most atypical Power Ranger episode ever, right? Which feels it, it's aliens. That, yeah, it's yeah. It feels more alien. That's what I was trying to get at. It feels more alien than it does Power Rangers. Yeah, because the Rangers, the Ranger characters are in it, but they're hardly in costume. Mm-hmm. The the main villains are not in it. Now it plays into the main storyline because they go to that ship and they find the Galaxy Book there, which plays into the main story. Yeah. But it's a very self-contained episode. It feels honestly less like Power Rangers and more like, and I don't mean this in a bad way. It feels almost like a sci-fi pictures original movie. If that yeah, makes sense. I, no, no, I get what no, I get what you're saying. Heavily influenced by Alien, uh, by Alien and Aliens. Yeah. And here's the yeah. thing: I actually found out that there might be another reason for that, and that's because that episode was directed by a guy who I don't think has directed any other Power Rangers episodes. It was a one-off thing. Stephen Wang, who, among other things, is known for directing the Guyver movies. 
And he worked with, I think, Koichi Sakamoto, who did the uh, action choreography and everything for Power Rangers and Super Sentai. And it's a, if you watch the Guyver movies, it's basically grown-up Power Rangers. I think that is partly why that episode is so weird by comparison, why it stands out, because you had a a much different sort of director behind the helm there. And it's a very strange episode. There's no Sentai footage in it either. It's very atmospheric, very dark. Like, they were... I don't think there's technically any casualties in that episode, but boy, howdy, did they push it as far as they can, as it'll let them. <laughs> yeah, they pushed it as far as, they pushed it as far as, like, you know, Power Rangers and made-for-TV kids show will let them, but mm-hmm. it's, and it's, it's an extreme. Com- it's a completely original monster? Yeah, there's, like, yeah, there's, there is no Sentai footage in this episode. It is, it is mm-hmm. completely new. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It's like I said, very atypical, and it's also very mysterious. We don't know what was going. It's like Alien. We don't know what was going on with that ship, or what that monster is, what it was doing, or anything. We don't know. It's left unexplained. Although sometimes they leave things unexplained that I wish they hadn't left unexplained. Like what the frick is the Galaxy Book, and why is it the Necronomicon? Don't anybody say Kletu Narada Nikto around it because I've seen Evil Dead. <laughs> Kletu Nara. Okay, I'm, I'm uh, no, it's Barada. But whatever. See, I, I'm I'm bad at even summoning the Book of the Dead. Okay. Yeah, well, they stole that from another movie. So now let's move on to our sixth ranger. The Magna Defender, the ba- basically the uh, the Dirty Harry of the Power Rangers franchise. <laughs> the Dirty Harry. Well, we kind of we get two versions of the Magna Defender, which is kind of weird. And you, he's not the, the Magna Defender, so we're going to tap into some Greek there. But he's not called that in Ginga Man, from what you were telling me. No, he's called Black Bull. In, it's called in Black the, Bull, which actually makes sense, but. <laughs> But they actually do adapt the Black Bull pretty closely in this. Oh, it's now, now, okay. it's pretty much so, be- the story arc for the story arc for Black Bull and the Magnet Defender are pretty much parallel to one another. Except for one detail gets changed. I know that. Yeah. yeah. Uh, uh, Zika in Zika, who is Magnet Defender's son, is not his son in the Sentai. It's his little brother. Yeah, his little brother. And he is killed by the main villain, mm-hmm. but it's not Scorpius. Scorpius is original to Power Rangers. And if you pay close enough attention to the Sentai footage that they use for the flashback, you could see. Yeah. Oh, you don't have to really pay. You don't have to play. You don't have to call Captain Mutiny is the main villain. Yeah. You don't have to play, pay that close attention because it's right there in the foreground uh, yeah. of the scene. It so. goes by really fast, but yeah. Yeah, but, yeah, so it was actually Captain Mutiny. But it's still basically the same thing. You killed someone very near and dear to me, a family member, and I must have revenge! Yes. So... Which plays an interesting interesting role when we get to the uh, Lights of Orion story arc, because the whole concept... Oh, yeah, the the magic uh, nebulous MacGuffin, yes. They're this power source in the universe that attaches themselves to similar to the quasar sabers they attach themselves to those who are worthy and those who are pure of heart 
And since uh, Magna Defender's whole motivation to getting the Lights of Orion is for revenge and vengeance, the Lights of Orion won't go to him. They won't stay to him. Even though he's trying to get them because he wants to use them to kill Scorpius. Right. Oh, wait, I'm sorry. Destroy Scorpius. Because, yeah, because we can't say kill in, yeah, was... in Power Rangers. Yeah. Except there's a point later on where they literally say kill and destroy in the same sentence. It's weird. Not in this season. It's in Lightspeed Rescue, but it's just okay, whatever. But anyway, you know, we can talk about murdering people all the time. We can even attempt it on multiple occasions, but we're not actually going to say it. Yeah. Anyway, so that's how we start. He's voiced by uh, by uh, your guy, I guess, Kerrigan Mahan. Yeah, he was voiced by uh, the actor who played Goldar. Mm-hmm. And if the, you pay attention, the voice you can actor tell. that played Goldar. Yeah, if you pay attention, you can tell. <laughs> you can. Yeah. It's a different it's a little voice. Bit, it's but... a little higher pitched than the gravelly Goldar voice. But it's like, but the, but there are certain things that he says that you can hear that bleed through. Yeah, he does have a little bit of a Clint Eastwood attitude, though, doesn't he? And that Very voice, much. that voice does some kind of Clint Eastwood ask, doesn't it? <laughs> I suddenly want him to walk up to a monster and just say, like, you might be asking yourself, did he did he sh- shoot six hundred or six hundred one? Do you feel lucky? What do you punk? <laughs> do you feel lucky i mean he because he because magnet because magnet defender talk that when we first get introduced to magnet defender he has this very like low voice very controlled very controlled yes like but you know it's all a facade because he's just are you feeling lucky punk yeah you know but we all know that he's it's all a facade he's hurting inside oh yeah yeah, one of his, in fact, uh, something he says to Kendricks will come back later in my awards, but that plays into that hurt that he mm-hmm. is, he's feeling, which mm-hmm. was a really like powerful moment because if I'm not mistaken, that was either the first, if not one of the first times you actually hear Magna Defender talk because for the first few episodes he's introduced, he doesn't say anything. He doesn't say okay. much, he, 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 which adds to sort of the mystique of the character mm-hmm. similar well, to similar to um, I, th- I feel like they were trying to tap into the same vibe as uh, the Phantom Ranger with Magnum Defender. A, a little a, bit, yeah. a little bit. And it it can it kind of starts this tradition where the sixth Ranger starts off antagonistically, but he's not because he's a villain like Tommy. His motivations are just different. Yeah, his motivations, are, it's, he's more of an anti-hero. Right. Yeah. Which is, like I said, it's a little bit of a, a trope a little bit in of Power a, Rangers. It's a trope, but it's also sort of a grown-up, it's a little bit more of a grown-up yeah. concept. Well, and the fact that Saban did not censor that part of the Sentai is a little astonishing, because it's technically child murder. Yeah, we I mean, have we haven't child s- murder on we, a kids show. We haven't. Well, we came. We we haven't seen attempted child murder since the Turbo movie, but we actually see child murder here. Yeah, which which I'm with you, but this plays. It kind of plays into what we were talking about earlier. The more adult sense, not the more grown up sensibilities that Power Rangers is moving into. It's growing up with its. It's still growing up with its audience at this point, and you know, sh- depicting you know, depicting the death of a son is a good way to good way to get the audience to empathize with someone mm-hmm. as grizzled as the magnet offender. 
Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And then he he goes through his own little redemption arc, kind of anticipating Corona to a certain extent. Mm-hmm. And we find out that he needed Mike's help because we think Mike is dead for about the first 15 episodes or so because he fell into a crevice after he gave Leo the Quasar Saber, mm-hmm. which just rocked poor Leo. He was mourning his brother's death for those first 15 episodes or so. And then we find out, I don't exactly understand how this works. There's a lot of things that I wish there was a little bit more detail. That's the thing. That's one of the things I have to knock against lost galaxy. I saw a video as I pointed this out. In space was a little bit better at its world building. Cause it gave more specifics and it utilized the outer space. setup a little bit more because we don't even know what the name of the magnet defenders planet is. Yeah, you know, it's just little things like that that kind of bring it down a little bit, and the fact that it's very Terra Venture focused, which is probably because they were slaves to the Sentai. But you know, you know, but even in space, figured out ways to get around that a little bit. But all that to say, I don't exactly understand how this works. He was defeated by one of the bad guys. And was basically in some, some, I guess, something of a limbo. And then he saw Mike, and then he fused with Mike, so that he could basically get his body back, and then which carry is out very, which is very close, very, very, if not beat for beat, what happens in Gingaman? Okay, uh, is he related to any of the Rangers in Gingaman like this? No, he's a fellow soldier. No, 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 no. He is the no. He is the Red Ranger's brother. He is the Red Ginga Man's brother. Oh, okay. So anyway, so he f- so he fuses with him to so get his body back. But then the in- Mike's influence starts holding him back. He basically just starts having like a heart attack every time he tries to do something, particularly not good. And <laughs> right, as you know. because as uh, it's implied. The way I the way I can parse it out is the as Mike's spirit becomes as Mike's spirit becomes stronger, it comes in in really hard conflict with Magna Defender's uh, motivations. Yes, and that, mm-hmm. and eventually it gets to the point where he realizes that he's going too far, and then he dies heroically saving Terra Venture because he basically yeah. walks into a volcano slowly while slowly melting. And then allows himself to die so that he can stop the volcanic eruption. So he had a Godzilla 1984 moment. Yeah, except a lot more heroic. Right. <laughs> and then in the next episode, Mike is is back with us because that was the trade-off. He's like, here, I'll give you your brother back. And now I have to go do my death walk because <laughs> death walks are a thing in tokusatsu apparently and then in the next episode the soul of the magna defender appears to mike and says i've chosen you so now mike is being chosen again yeah. he's like i've chosen you to inherit the mantle which is not in ganga man because i think you told me that the black bull does not come back after he dies no and so well he doesn't the the black bull that we know that we get introduced early on doesn't come back he the Black Bull comes back in the form of one of the Ginga men. Like they do bring the Black Bull back, but it's not, it's, it's the exact same story arc as Mike and the Magnet. Okay. Okay. It's the exact same. Okay. So anyway, yeah. So anyway, he says, I've chosen you to be the Magnet Defender that we get our sixth Ranger who should be your favorite because my name affinity, 
He gets an epic morphing sequence, although it goes by really fast. Yeah, it's it the does. Fastest morphing sequence ever. <laughs> but he does get a badass new Zord. Yes, too. the Toro Zord. And he he's also kind of his own Zord. That is apparently the power of the Magna Defender, because if he gets zapped by the Toro Zord, he actually turns into a giant. And then he combines with the Zord. Yeah. It kind of it kind of turns if you're familiar with what when we talked about the Battleborgs in C, from season or from the uh, power uh, Mighty Morphin Alien Rangers in season three, um, it's kind of like that except it's like a second suit. It's kinda, it's essentially Iron Man, just yeah, big. Except he yeah. just turns gigantic. Yeah, yeah. yeah. The the Toro Zord has the power of make my monster grow. Except in this case, it's make my ranger grow. Yet again, another case of a grower, not a shower. <laughs> you deserve that. <laughs> anyway, let's go on to the Zord, since we're talking about the Toro Zord and him becoming his own Zord and all of that. Let's talk a little bit about the Zords here. So we have the Galaxy Megazord, which is formed by the Galactabeast. Now, this is interesting. This is the first time in Power Rangers. Now, Super Sentai had already done this. This is the first time in Power Rangers where we have sentient Zords. Because yep. the Galactabeasts are actually alive. They are not just machines. They are actual beings, and then they become machines. So yeah, they kind of live their... in both worlds a little bit there. They, they, they can call upon the armor of the Galactabeasts, the Galactazords, when needed. Yes. When they need to form the Megazord. Mm-hmm. And we have a lion, a condor, a gorilla, a wolf, and a wildcat. Mm-hmm. So I guess the gorilla is Mechanicon? <laughs> with his peck beams <laughs> sure we can go that's with that what he does he, he fires lasers from his from his nipples <laughs> he's got booby beams he's got booby beams oh it's a, it's his yeti it's, a, it's his yeti powers <laughs> it's, he's got he's got boo beams boop oh <laughs> peck blasters <laughs> uh. Look, there's isn't probably there, a, isn't there aren't there lady are aren't there fembots and Austin Powers with machine guns in their boobs? Yes, there are, and there's also, if I'm not mistaken, there's a uh, there is a um, uh, uh, one of those one of those like really cheap exercise machines that you would see on infomer those infomercial uh, exercise machines called the Peck Blaster. The Peck Blaster. Yeah. So anyway. <laughs> and they're all different colors and they're uh, and everything. Oh, a wild cat. Yeah, I think I mentioned the wild cat. Now we get to see a fair amount of them separate. They there and there are some episodes where, and I wish Power Rangers and Super Sentai would do this more often, where they do stuff before combining. Mm, yeah. But invariably. They combine into the Galaxy Megazord. Later on, they get a variant of it because the lights of Orion work on the mm-hmm. Megazord. Yeah. So it gets a power-up because we need to sell them toys. So we'll give the Rangers the mildest of power-ups to sell it's those a, toys. It's a pretty cool power-up, though. It is. It, yeah, it is. It's a, it's a, but it's aesthetically pleasing. And it goes mm-hmm. along with, and, and it goes along with the 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 whole power up with the lights of Orion. Mm-hmm. It kind of yeah. comes as it kind of comes at a random time. Whereas in past Power Ranger seasons, they're like, we can now summon the power of, and then put in extra power up name here. 
where it just kind of happens on its own. It just kind of happens randomly, which kind of, I guess, lends to the idea that the lights of Orion are in the, are in and of themselves sentient. Kind of. It's very nebulous. They never explain it. But thankfully we don't quite overload on Zords this season, unlike some future seasons. Oh yeah. This one only has like what? Six. Uh, It has one main, it has one main Megazord. And then the right. Torozord, which we've already right. talked about the Torozord, the Defender Torozord. And then we get a few extra Galactabeasts, but we hardly ever see them as Galactabeasts. They mostly just turn into their, I guess you could say their warrior modes. Mm-hmm. And then they help out. And there's, I think, two of them. Yeah, there's a uh, Phoenix and a uh, Rhinoceros. Yes, the Rhino Galactabeasts and the Phoenix Galactabeasts. There's a whole two-part episode dedicated to them finding them, and they're originally villainous, and then they break them of the villain's influence, and then they help them out. Uh, There's also a Shark Galactabeast, a Zenith Carrier Zord, and it has a warrior mode, but they don't show up very often. Yeah. And, you know, which is unfortunate because I actually like the designs of those zords i just wish they were in the show a little bit more i tend to i tend to really like the understated zords uh like i think i talked about one of my awards i gave it to the red battle zord mm-hmm. from zeo yeah and the rhino yeah. galactabeast becomes the centaurus megazord and the phoenix mm-hmm. becomes the stratoforce megazord just yeah. wanted to make sure i mentioned that i think i like them better than even some of the previous ones mm-hmm. that we've had i think i like this better than the turbo megazord I Not will that the say, Turbo Megazord's terrible. I just like it more. I will say though, the the Toro Zord, uh, when the Toro Zord transforms into its uh defender Toro Zord mode, it has probably one of the most badass transformations sequences mm-hmm. that we've seen. Mm-hmm. Because but, when it because the because it's kind of like how in season two of MMPR real the tiger except he's the magnet defender is riding the back of the bull <laughs> which it's not as epic because the bull doesn't move as quickly as the tiger no he doesn't although when the the, the Torozord does its finisher the shot composition for that is pretty cool it is yeah i don't absolutely. think that su- the guy in that suit can move very well because he doesn't do a whole lot <laughs> it doesn't seem like it that suit doesn't seem super conducive because even in Ginga Man, the the toro the the toro megazord the the uh defender toro zord whatever um doesn't move around a whole lot no but the filmmakers work very hard to make it look cool especially when it does its finishing move. So it does its finishing move where it has this big pole blade and it slashes at the monster of the week. And then the camera uh, composes the shot where you can see the face of the Zord on the left side. And then off in the background is the monster of the week writhing in pain. And then it falls over and explodes in the distance, but it, you've got the, the Toro Zord there. So it's just very, instead of doing, you know, the victory pose, after the monster is defeated, you just see the Torozord's face as its target falls over and explodes. And I think that really sells it. Now on to the villains. Man, we need to park here for a little while because there's a lot of villains and a couple of them, a lot needs to be said about them. Oh yeah. Like we get our, we get a villain training sequence. Yes. <laughs> we have a village journey in this. 
Yeah. <laughs> but uh, this is also the season of generals because good grief, they go through generals like five it's, year olds go through candy. <laughs> it's it's the same. It's the same for the. It's very similar to the Sentai. Yeah. yeah. They just they go through a whole slew of them. The funny thing is, are... is one, the funny thing is, is one of them isn't even from Gigabath. <laughs> but we'll get to that in a second. So I we I guess we need to start in order of importance. So we need to talk about the actual main villain yeah. overall, which is Trakina, continuing mm-hmm. the Power Ranger tradition of femme fatale villains. <laughs> Trakina is really interesting because in some ways she's kind of the anti-astronomer. Yeah, she's... Um... There is no like there is no question that she wants to be evil like she is, but there is no there is really no conflict within her about what she's doing, except she doesn't want to be No, that. I mean, it's not that she doesn't want to be evil. She just would prefer being where she is right now. Yeah, she would rather be daddy's little girl. And she would rather have that position. And daddy is like, no, I need you to you know, get in the cocoon and become an insect like me. And then you will have true power. He's like, he's kind of, he he's not grooming her in that sense, but he's trying to raise her in a way that she takes on the mantle when the time comes, when he's he, not around anymore. He's trying to. That I mean Scorpius, because her father is Scorpius. Right. He, he he tries to force destiny upon her. Yeah. And she's like, no, I want to be beautiful because she's very vain. And, you know, she's like, I want to be beautiful. I want to I want to keep this. And, you know, she likes w- being where she is. She still yeah. manipulates things to her own benefit, but she still right. wants to stay in the position that she's in. And we find out that she's not really cut out for it. She doesn't know how to fight very well. Mm hmm. Any times that we see her try to get involved in the action when she and I wish they had done this a little more. I actually liked her insect armor that she had for a couple of episodes. I actually looked pretty cool. <laughs> looked very common rider ish. <laughs> very. Yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah very. very yeah. But, you know, she could barely she mostly just stood around and told people to do things or, you know, tried to like zap some things on occasion with her staff you know she did not have a lot of combat ability she was not cut out for it and maybe scorpius didn't realize that she was he she was just daddy's little girl but you know she really wasn't cut out for it and maybe it was because it was thrust upon her again kind of like with leo to a certain extent you know this it's this you know destiny is thrust upon him and destiny's thrust upon her because her daddy gets killed by the Power Rangers, and suddenly she's in charge. Mm-hmm. So then we get, like I said, a village journey. We get a Rocky style <laughs> training montage. Cue the Rocky theme, you know. <laughs> which, which is really kind of a like it's it's kind of effective. It's part of our it, those couple of episodes is part are part of our watch list. Yes. Um, I think it was, if I'm not mistaken, it was heir to the throne. I think mm-hmm. it's what the, is what the, um, is what the episode that we're referencing where she goes yeah, heir to the, the throne and uh, an evil game. That's right. Yeah. Okay. So it was sort of a two, it was like sort of a pseudo two-parter. Yeah. Um, yeah. And we're introduced but, to a couple of other characters in that who, and she's basically trained. She gets the training that she needed. Mm-hmm. 
because like she go she they go back to the weird wild west planet from in space and she basically gets into a bar fight and she just gets manhandled mm -hmm. she just yeah. gets embarrassed by all the monsters who are supposed to be dead but you know saban's recycling suits because <laughs> we pay attention there's monsters from past seasons in the bar <laughs> it's funny but and then and there's she, a weird and there's this weird like pachycephalosaurus bartender yeah it's weird but then she gets training from another character we'll talk about here shortly and then she goes back to the bar and then she manhandles the guy the guys who manhandled her mm -hmm. and then at that point she's like yes i am the heir to my father's throne not only i mean she even gets one of her her father is a big scorpius he's a big ugly bug puppet with tentacles yeah the fact that they were able to get as much character and life out of that puppet because it's a very immobile puppet other than its face and the tentacles it, it sets on a platform that i'm assuming has all of its electronics and the puppeteer inside yeah yeah it's there, there's not it, there's it's a very limited puppet but they get a lot of mileage out of it they it's an it's 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 actually a really effective pup. It's really an, a kind of an emotionally effective puppet considering yeah. what it is. Yeah. Well, and this is, it, I, th I feel like in a lot of ways, it's not trying to repeat the whole, uh, like what they did in in space with astronomer and ecliptor where there are these very three dimensional villains. It's doing that, but not, it's a, it's very much a variation on it where instead of it being here are villains who really could probably be, good guys in the right you know if they if their lives had taken a little bit different of a direction these are very much villainous characters who have a lot of sympathy going with them because scorpius i know we're kind of talking about scorpius and trachina at the same time which is fine scorpius despite being this massive insect despot this big ugly he's an ugly ugly creature yes <clears throat> you find out that he very, very much loves his daughter. Oh, he, he's a bit misguided, perhaps. He, I don't think he quite understands what his daughter wants to do. You know, he's still kind of trying to force her to do things, but he very much loves her. And the fact that there's a scene where she, he basically dies in Trakina's arms. And this should be silly. It should be silly. You have this... Amy Miller, the actress who plays Trakita, wearing this outlandish bug costume. Yeah. And she has this emotional moment with a giant bug puppet. Mm. And it's genuinely touching. I can't believe I'm saying that, but it's genuinely touching. For a hot second, you forget that these are the villains. Yeah. And then her father's tentacle becomes her scepter. So it's like this, this physical manifestation of her inheriting the throne. What did you think of her uh, deviat? And we'll get to him in a minute. Deviat and her meld her, their merging and power up. I honestly wish, I honestly wish that it was a lot clearer who was really in control at that point. Now yeah. I'm leaning toward, and I think this is what they want, which could be a strength because it's not exactly spelled out for us, which I think is a sign of mature writing. But I think the idea is that fusing with Deviat like that and a combination of getting partially transformed by the cocoon 
I think is supposed to tell you is like this is what pushes her over the edge. Like she finally crosses the line. I have a feeling she would have eventually gotten there. This is her spiral into madness. Yeah. It's just that that event accelerated it because I think she would have gotten there eventually. Oh, yeah. They were definitely building towards it. And at the same time, and we can and since we're already here, let's just kind of let's let's touch on Deviat just while we're here. Mm-hmm. Um, we're jumping all over the place. You know, we, we are, we are, but it's, it's fine. Um, yeah. Deviat, be- uh, or as I like to call him, evil robot Shakespeare. <laughs> to be or not to be evil. I mean, I mean, I think Deviat could rattle off Shakespeare and it would totally work. <laughs> you know, he's, he is actually one of my favorite gen, because he, he, he comes, he, he plays a pretty significant role. He becomes a general in um and he lives up to his name because he is quite devious he's always he is, plotting against is, the main villains this this begins or no this this actually kind of uh furthers the trope of power rangers villains where there's a there's where there's a subordinate that wants to overthrow the uh one in charge you got that a bit with astronomer and dark specter you did. But That's why she I'm was saying in a very, di- but she was in a very different position, right? Than Deviat, right? She wasn't necessarily. She was astronomer was subservient to Dark Specter, but in a way, she was almost on the same plane as Dark Specter because she was christened by him as the uh, Queen of Evil. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So she's in a different position than Deviat, and she. I feel like Deviat has to be more cunning and devious. Mm-hmm. because given yeah his name yeah given his name but yeah his whole thing is that he wants to go in the cocoon i don't know how the cocoon can transform somebody like him but he thinks it's going to give him ultimate power but he's always it's always just beyond his reach so he's constantly plotting against them he's actually like i said he's a really interesting character just to see him constantly trying to kind of play both sides like i said yeah it's he's actually probably I think he's actually one of the better villains if I in the Saban era, for sure. And the antithesis of Deviat is Villamax. I love Villamax. I'm a sucker I, for villains who have a weird code of honor. Yeah. And Villamax is that way. Again, he's he's kind of like a clipter in that way, where it's just like, it's like, dude. You're like one step away from actually being one of the good guys. Can you just cross that line a little bit? And again, well, I think he crossed that. No, I think he crossed the end, that line he did. in the in the end. At the yeah. end, he did. But I almost wonder if maybe maybe he really isn't a bad guy. Yeah, he trains Trakina and he swears loyalty to her. But compared to the other villains, he isn't nearly as evil by comparison. He's not devious like deviat mm-hmm. yeah he's trying to kill the rangers but i don't feel like he does it quite as enthusiastic you know with the, quite the same fervor that the other villains are doing like furio and treacheron and you know these other characters it's more like his loyalty is to trakina and this is just what trakina does and that ends up being his un. i'm a little disappointed with his ending because i felt like he deserved better just like yeah. i feel like with Eclipter. Although Villamax is much more tragic than Ecliptor. Because I think the show in space, if I have a complaint about it, is that I think it kind of forgot that Ecliptor wasn't that bad. 
but they acted like he was in the end. Villamax is a tragedy <laughs> because in the finale, he realizes, he slowly realizes Trakina is crossing a line. She is recklessly destroying her army. She is basically trying to slaughter innocent civilians, including children, because that's what turns Villamax against her, because he sees a child who is barely surviving. You know, he saves the child from one of the exploding suicide bomber stingwingers, and the child, it's a little girl, gives him a flower, and then he starts to realize, this is not right, because, yeah. you know, his code of honor just kicks in. And then he says, Trakina says, go do this. And he says, no, I won't. Now, when is it being his undoing is that he's so chivalrous and loyal to Trakina that he won't hardly defend himself against her. He only does it enough to stave off getting murdered. But in the end, he says, he basically says, I can't, he can't strike her. He can't do it. And then she just kills him. You you mentioned them just a minute ago. You mentioned them just a minute ago, but the Stingwingers. The sting the Stingwingers are the foot soldiers our, this season. Our foot soldiers and they're original. Will, they're not from Gingaman. They're not. The what we'll talk about in a minute are oh, from Gingaman. Good lord. <laughs> but I ha but the, basically the Stingwingers are they don't speak. They are bug they're they're, they're, they're a, a bug swarm. army. They're a, they're a swarm. swarm. They're yeah. very like they're the the foot soldiers and Power Rangers and Super Sentai, for that matter, have always kind of basically kind of filled in the trope of the, you know, these uh, face the, the faceless horde. Yeah. And these are, but these really fit into it because they're insects. Mm -hmm. they're, they are, they are a swarm of insects and they make funny buzzing noises, which I'm sure that must have been fun. <laughs> that must have been fun for the voice actors, you know, to just yeah. sit there and go, <laughs> as foot soldiers go, they're pretty good. Yeah, pretty good. I, mean, I like I, them better than the Piranatrons. They're they're not, not as good as they're not my favorite, but they're not as good as the Quantrons. No, uh, but they are better the putties, than the for that matter. Yeah, they're not as good as the putties either, but they're but they're not but they're better than the Tengas or the Piranatrons. Yeah, for sure. So the I would say they're kind of like mid tier foot soldiers. They serve yeah. their purpose well, and they especially in the finale where. We suddenly wanted to give the Stingwingers a bit more significance because Trakita turns them all into suicide bombers. I and that's really actually given like weight that. because they're like, "What are you doing?" I mean, they're they're just they're just a faceless horde, as far as we know. They're basically just biological drones, but they're given gravity because <laughs> it's yeah, like, I mean, why are makes you wantonly destroying your army? Yeah, which when they all attach themselves to the uh, to the the because the Zords get blowed up. <laughs> yeah, to the Centaurus and the uh, what is Stratoforce. it? Stratoforce, Stratoforce Megazord, and blow them up. That gives them significant weight, and it it really it's a really interesting use of the foot soldier foot soldiers that we don't get in previous seasons. Like yeah, they're yeah, even though like I said, they're basically just faceless drones. Because they're being used as as yeah. faceless drones. Well, as no, well, face yeah, as faceless drones in just a war of attrition. I, someone calls that. I was like, "Why are you doing this?" <laughs> it's not that they care about the stingwingers; they don't. It's more just it's more of a strategic thing. But they're given significance. Yeah. Kudos sure. to you, Lost Galaxy. Yeah. Kudos to you. But uh, speaking of all of the generals, this this season, the king <laughs> of generals. 
So our first one is Furio. Now, Furio is in about the first like nine or ten episodes. Mm-hmm. And he gets to do one very significant thing in that he's the guy who petrifies Miranoi. Mm-hmm. But which they kind of retcon later because it looks like, and this is just absurdly overpowered as far as I care, because it looks like he basically stabs the ground and the whole planet gets petrified. But then later on, it, I mean, and they're like showing it happen on the ground and then they're out in space looking at the planet from the ship and you see it, the petrification go around. And then it's magically unpetrified at the end of the season and the only thing that's petrified are the people. Right. I'm a tiny bit confused. But I'm like, if Furio's that powerful, why is he such a dork? <laughs> why is he not in charge? Why is he not in charge? Because he's just getting just kicked around all the. I actually felt a little sorry for Furio because he's just getting abused all the time. What's interesting about Furio, we can move on, is he is actually the final villain for uh, Mega Ranger, which is the season mm-hmm. adapted to in space. Mm-hmm. So he's not even from Ginga Man. No, he's not. It's weird. It's kind of weird. They've I can there's only one other time where I think Saban or any of the Power Ranger producers did something like that and that was in Wild Force where they recycled a costume from Master Die Ranger yeah. as Master Org. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. But uh, honestly out of all the generals Furio's the least interesting. And he comes to his he's end one, is kind of uneventful. He just he's blows one, himself up. Yeah, he's just one note. Yeah. yeah and he, then he's he, just a one note character. And then like I said he just blows himself up. That's it. Mm-hmm. And then we get we get Treacher on, which I think is a, I feel like that's an ironic name because again, a villain with a bit of a code of honor. He's very samurai, very Bushido, which you right. can tell in the Sentai footage. This when he yeah. fights the Red Ranger, the Sentai footage, it is very samurai movie. Oh, it's yeah, it's it it, it, it very spoiler that'll come up later on in the awards, but um. Treacheron is an interesting one because his characterization for Lost Galaxy has not changed a whole lot since since Ginga Man. He is, he does have a he does have a code of honor. In fact, um, in fact, he uh, what is it? He in one of the scenes he throws the sword back to yep. the Red Ranger so that they can fight honorably. Mm-hmm. Fight and, on, e- on an equal playing field. Uh-huh. There, aren't said, very, there aren't very many villains and power rangers who would bother with that they would just they would just press the advantage right exactly because i think i think there was the line i'm trying to remember it here there was the line of if i'm going to defeat you i'm going to defeat you with your sword in hand or something, something like, like that. that which is why i say it's so weird that his name is treacheron treachery i'm just like he's as opposite of that as you could get he's loyal he gets disciplined so he literally gets put in prison for failure which upsets him because it's like i'm better i'm better than this mm-hmm. i should be treated with more respect by uh, He's righteously and i am righteously indignant you know and you know which actually makes his gives his death a little bit of a, of impact because you're like you can kind of root for him a little bit and uh, then really quick because we've already talked about villamax who's the basically uh who's the last main general for our main villains but he also has a little psychic Kegler, who is literal, uh, who is aptly named because he looks like a keg. That's the joke. He's, he's like a he's he's this little he's this little old man that has a a barrel for a body. Yep, that's why he's Kegler. He's kind of a voice of reason at points because he kind of t- tries to say like, "I don't think you should do that." <laughs> 
Well, he he also serves a purpose because he's the one who discovers uh, Deviat's plan to actually overthrow Scorpius. Yes. Yes. Yeah. So, yeah, he's a fun little character. I have a feeling because we don't we're not really told what his ultimate fate is, but I have a feeling he dies in the finale after Scorp after Trakina crashes crashes her ship, which is unfortunate because I felt a little sorry for him. So now we get to the captain of Lost Gal. No, no, wrong accent. The captain of Lost Galaxy. Uh, <laughs> captain. <laughs> Cap- <laughs> Captain Mutiny. Shiver me timbers. Shiver me timbers. Okay. Which his his okay. voice. This guy. I have opinions about about these villains. I know they're the actual villains from Ginga Man, uh, but I feel like they're a step down from Trakita and all the rest of them. They they're in like they're it's like what 10 12 episodes when they go to the quote unquote lost galaxy so we finally get the fulfillment of the title. And to be honest, it's the least interesting part of the four of the 45 episodes of this show. It's pretty forgettable. Um even though I understand what they're doing with it, and it can on paper it sounds like a great idea. It's just comparatively the least interesting part of the show. And it's yeah. honestly, other than a couple of standout monsters and monster battles, mm-hmm. there's not a whole lot to say about this. One of them even has a clip show. One of the episodes is a clip show. Yeah. And I just, it's one of the things that actually I feel like brings Lost Galaxy down. It's what keeps it from getting to top tier status, like in space for me. Because just not a whole lot that happens. Also, Commander Staten. It never occurred to you that maybe a guy named Captain Mutiny wasn't trustworthy. <laughs> it's in the name. What is he? What seriously? It's like it's like me saying, "Oh, his name is Mister Bad Guy. I think I can trust him." <laughs> <laughs> you know, I, it's, I, I, <laughs> it's not as a it's not as a, a whimsical of a name as say the Joker or yeah, yeah. even like Master Vile, you know. Yeah. But at least with Master, at least Master Vile is not pretending to be what he anything he's not, and no one ever thinks, hmm, a guy named Master Vile, he's got to be trustworthy. Oh yeah, yeah. I just like. Did nobody think about that? Did they? Did it, did it not occur to anybody to think maybe we should give him a different name? Did the one, somebody just think Captain Mutiny has a nice ring to it? The um, the the design of the design of Captain Mutiny is very Japanese. It's very which, Japanese. He's ridiculous. He literally looks like a pirate ship. Yeah. Yeah, his body is his body. His shoulder pads are a pirate ship. His whole like he, his 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 shoulder pads are the the stern and the bow. It's like like basically his chest and shoulders is a pirate ship, right? And then the shoulders are like I said, the stern and the bow. And then mm-hmm. his chest is the uh, the the hull of the ship. He's mm-hmm. a cr- like 
he's got shoulders wider than the horizon. Okay. He's like, his shoulders just go on for days and he's big and he's bulky. He's got a hook hand. It's like, he's just, Toei, you just looked at every, he's got an eye patch, the big hat, like Toei just decided, Hey, every pirate cliche we could think of, throw it into one character. Well, what's real? what's really funny, uh, what's really, what's really also kind of quirky and weird about him is he rides on top of a dinosaur in a floating castle. Um, That's just weird. He doesn't even drive a pirate ship. He drives a castle it is on top so of a dinosaur. Bizarre. I'm just like, I know Super Sentai <laughs> is notoriously absurd, but at least there's a weird logic, uh-huh. a weird internal logic to it. I look at there's either this... a lot of times there's either a weird internal logic or some cultural connection. That yeah, makes it... but I look at this and I'm just like, you just threw a bunch of ideas in a blender, didn't you? I mean, they're, they're no, they, well, I don't know about Cat Mutiny because, like I said, he's just the embodiment of every pirate cliche ever. Right. Uh, the voice, and ever, at least in the English. But in design, he's got like all the stereotypes. I'm not serious. There's all, all the cliches. But then something that by itself actually sounds really cool, you give to a pirate, and it doesn't make sense. The castle on the back of a kaiju that can fly in space. I'm like, that is super cool. Mm-hmm. It just feels out of place here. I don't know if Captain Mutiny's out of place or if Titanosaur is out of place. I can't decide. I like a, a giant space dinosaur feels less out of place than a floating castle pirate or a well, pirate. the floating the ca- the floating castle on the dino on the kaiju's back, I'm fine with. That's a cool idea. Just the pirate, the pirate just doesn't work. And the other thing is, is other than his henchmen, because we'll talk about those, the swabbies. Yeah, hold on. The rest of his henchmen <laughs> don't really feel like pirates either. Because yeah. like I said, there's not a whole lot to say about Captain Mutiny. He's just a pirate. He's obsessed with booty. Not that kind of booty, you perverts, but <laughs> come over here and give me that booty. <laughs> I'm not sure where my booty begins. <laughs> I'm not sure I can even sit down or bend over. <laughs> Have you looked at me? <laughs> well, you need to sit there and take your Rudy Tootie stinky booty and go elsewhere. I don't know. Like this is this is getting absurd. It is because um, he is absurd. But and he's just, he's capturing people as slaves so he can strip mine a planet to get treasure. It's just like it's just like I said, it's every pirate cliche ever. Yeah. And honestly, they although I it's just not all that great. Although I'm gonna say it because everyone expects it now. Still a better p- space pirate than Diva Tox. I said it. Good lord. I said I think it. we I think we talked about our, our I think our head canon we talked about they were married at one point. Oh, or like no, they probably like dated in high school or something like that. Were they dated hilarious. In high school? Yeah. <laughs> like her and Captain Mutiny went out and then she's like, I'm leaving you for the uh, for the for the demon. I have to sacri- I have to get a human sacrifice, but I'm leaving you for the demon. 
that's Captain Mutiny. Then right, we got our bad guy, his henchman, which don't mm-hmm. quite make sense. We have Barbarax. They're pretty one-dimensional. Yeah, Barbarax, who's a big spiky barbarian. Mm-hmm. Looks kind of like a Viking. Yeah. That's about it. He looks Hexaba. like a he looks like a Sentai villain. Yeah. Doesn't very look like much, a pirate, but whatever. Very, very much, very much. Hexaba. Hexaba, who is, the token witch character who's kind of yeah. interesting, but she's only in a few episodes. She has more to play in the Sentai. She's a lot more interesting in the Sentai. She's essentially like this. What is it? What'd you say? Arabian yeah. witch sorceress? Which just continues the weird mishmashing of everything. So, okay. <laughs> good on you, Hexaba. But, oh, good lord, his henchmen. <laughs> the Swabbies. Oh, my. I just like saying Gosh. Schwabbies. <laughs> <laughs> is there a cultural barrier here that I'm not getting because these are the worst foot soldiers that we've seen so far. Actually, this might be some of the worst foot soldiers in all of Power Rangers from what I've yeah. seen so far. These are terrible. They look even the craterites look better than this. Uh, or the, chrom- the, chromites, the chromites, the chromites, the chromites. At least the chromites are a little bit intimidating. These things look like just what in the heck are they? They look so they're, dopey. They're, I would they're even go orange. so far as to say, I don't like using this word all that much. They look derpy. Yeah, they look a little derpy. Uh, and they like, literally the, look like guys in wearing like uh, morph suits with a few with like, you know, like, uh, you know, pants, a bandana and painted on faces. They look terrible. I don't think I would call those pants. I would call those booty shorts. Yeah. But I'm, they just, ah, they just, booty shorts. <laughs> <laughs> but they, they just look terrible. They don't look intimidating at all. They're con- they, they're like putties where they make weird noises, but it just sounds like they're, they're just mumbling. Yeah. But I will say one little, one clever, interesting little design choice that they made with these their goatees are like an uh, an upward, like a, a downward facing hook. If you notice that. No, I didn't because I was too busy laughing at them. <laughs> so Nathan, that covers our villains. Do we want to go ahead and touch on a few of the monsters of the week? Heck yes. The first one on my list, because it's a big deal when it happens, even though I feel a little bit bad putting them in this category. The Psycho Rangers are back, baby. Ooh, okay. And I know how much you and I both love the Psycho Rangers from In Space. Oh, they, they, they are momentous. And the fact that they pay off, it's almost mm-hmm. like even though there's the implication in In Space, even though it was supposed to be the last season, there's the implication that they might come back as their data cards. They pay it off here. Yeah, absolutely. And I think I if don't you- know how that little goober that Deviant buys it from, and then he murders that guy. You know, this, you know the, uh, the uh, you know, not Jawa, but <laughs> I don't know how he got them, but he got them, and then he got them, and then they revived the psychos, and you know, you know, because of, like, how just horrifying the psychos were in its space. So I like, can you imagine being the kids watching this? And they're like, Oh no, 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 no. What's really good about this. What's, what's really good about this is they actually conclude the arc for the, for the psycho Rangers. Yes. Like, it, they're done. Like they're, 
the every every all the psycho rangers are destroyed except for psycho pink and then psycho pink plays a huge role in the next episode with the death of with the death of um, Kendrix Kendrix yeah yeah but then boom studios is like actually they're not done mm-hmm. but <laughs> so i had the psycho rangers on my list but i know you did too so and i, mm-hmm. I want to try to be a little bit different so i'm going to go with gruncher the gruncher gruncher, gruncher. Yes. yeah i'm going to go a, with gruncher uh, a kind of silly name for quite possibly terrifying yeah a terrifying monster of the week and honestly probably one of the most difficult monsters that they fought outside of the main villains in this season because good lord not to mention gruncher was implemented he looks kind of like a power ranger version of destroya yeah or orga because he has orga yeah from the godzilla films if, if any if anyone out there has a vor kink this is definitely your monster <laughs> we're not going there <laughs> but uh, the funny thing is is that grunge actually i think predates orga by a little bit oh not very, by yeah. much not by much a year it, it, i think at least yeah at least a year because this was 1998 98 lost galaxy was 99 Mm. but it was 98 in japan yeah yeah for ginga man so he might have been an inspiration maybe i don't know but they also use a variety of special effects techniques to bring him to life because at some points in his smaller form he stopped motion yeah yeah stop motion which is actually really cool that's why he stands out it's one of those standout episodes of the lost galaxy story so what's the next monster of the week for you it's on a similar vein we'll backtrack here in a second but let's talk about titanosaur because we've already talked a bit about titanosaur titanosaur he's up he gets to be a monster of the week because he does fight the rangers but he gets to do some other things we've talked about how he's basically the steed i guess you could say mm-hmm. for Captain Mutiny, his castle floats on him. I, it's we as Godzilla fans kind of laugh at it a little bit because we're like Titanosaur, not to be confused with Titanosaur. Very different, but he, it's like I said, it's an interesting kai. He's actually a little bit more, I think, kaiju mm-hmm. compared to some of the other monsters. Yeah, more, but, more, more in line with what you would, more in line with with what we would see as a traditional kaiju because he's very, yeah. he's very dinosaurian. Mm-hmm. He almost feels more like he would be at home in Ultraman than Super Sentai or Power. Yeah, Rangers. that's yeah, that's true. I think that I think you're I think you're closer. He, he, yeah, he's more at home in an Ultraman series, or even to bring it back uh, because I watched a few episodes of it la- the other night. Um, uh, Cyber Squad. Um, oh, Gridman. Uh, Gridman. Gridman. Thank you. Which Gridman. Uh, which is a Super Aya show, so that mm-hmm. makes sense. So yeah. I think it would he'd be really at home there. Um, but let's be I, honest, these Toku hero shows borrow from each other all the time. They they do. And I think I'm going to borrow one from your list and go with Loyax, which is a Uh-oh. really interesting. It was a really interesting villain. That was honestly, that episode is technically filler, uh, but I think it's, it needs to be discussed because it's thematically relevant. Mm-hmm. And honestly, I think it's one of the best episodes of this season. Mm-hmm. 
It's a Maya focus episode. Our monster of the week is just this old grizzled warrior. Again, another a villain with a bit of a code of honor. Yeah. Now he's a sexist. A bit. He's just a know, bit. Yeah. He's a bit of a sexist because he's like a girl. I'm not going to be defeated by a girl. Girls can't be warriors. They can't do anything. You know. But you know, and he really start. And then you know he. Get they he gets hired by Trakina to go kill the Rangers because he's looking to have but he's not because he wants to you know be evil for the sake of evil he's he's actually he's kind of like astronomer he used to be a hero mm-hmm. and then he succumbed to evil fought on the side of evil but he still had that honor about him that code of honor and now he's looking to have one last glorious battle it's very Viking esque and. So that's why he's doing this. It's like he wants a worthy adversary. He wants one more glorious battle. Yeah. And he ends up getting lost in a cave with Maya. And they help each other mm-hmm. get out of the cave. He actually says, hey, I won't hurt you because my eyesight is bad. I need you to help me because it's too dark. I can't see. So yeah. they help each other get out of the cave. And they bond a little bit by doing that because Maya doesn't trust him, and right. rightfully so. So he has to kind of earn her trust a little bit. And then as soon as they get out of the cave, he's like, okay, we're back to being enemies. But even then, he starts to realize, I don't have to do this. I shouldn't because Maya convinces, like, you don't have to be this way. You could choose not to be. And he starts talking about how much he regrets everything that he's been doing. Yeah. That it isn't him. The then Deviat lives up to his name and basically controls Loyax like a puppet, makes him fight the Rangers, and then Deviat kills him. Yeah. Because he breaks the control and he says, I'm not going to help anymore. So the the episode's a tragedy. It is. <clears throat> it's very a much. very sad episode. <laughs> It's a it's an incredibly sad episode, but it's also beat for beat what they did in the Sentai as well. It, I, I'm not it, surprised. It proves it proves that as this series matures, they're exploring different concepts like villains. Villains are not always the villain. They're not always evil. They're not always inherently evil. There are there is good in a lot. of There is mm-hmm. good to be found. Yeah, in some of these because some of these villains are just wayward people. Mm-hmm. they're just wayward and he they're vagabonds they're yeah. um well wayward morally i mean as well yeah you know they stray from the path even though it goes a bit against their nature mm-hmm. and i love if we were like our friends over at monsters versus men and giving out awards for best shots mm-hmm. i love the last scene of that episode which is called loyax's last battle mm-hmm. and i love the ending where they're basically having a, the Rangers are on a beach and they have basically a funeral for Loyax. Yeah. And Maya says some very nice things about him when before she hated his guts. And it ends, it's at dusk. So the sky is orange and the sun is going down. There's the, 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 the water coming up onto the shore in the background. And they take his sword and they basically stick it into the sand as a makeshift grave marker Mm -hmm. and then they start walking away and that's the last shot 
with the sword silhouetted against the orange sky with the beach in the background as the rangers are walking away and it's they are clearly in mourning it's a it's a beautiful it's a beautifully done episode and it's it's one of those rare like i love episodes where um it it blurs the line between what is good what is inherently good and what is inherently evil and it's mm-hmm. just it, i like episodes like yeah, that yeah which but. in space started yeah for sure and I think some, a lot of times Power Rangers is at its best where it plays around with that. I mean, let's don't get me wrong. Villains like Rita and Zed who are you know elementally evil, that is, they have their purpose and they're great characters. Mm-hmm. But I love stuff like this. Yeah. <laughs> I really do. So that's a great episode. Probably my favorite monster of the week out of the whole thing. And he yeah. doesn't even really count as a monster of the week. And carried actually a lot more weight um, than some others. Uh, also, just going to throw this one out there. Freaky Tiki <laughs> saying for the, freak- the name is funny. The character is yeah. ridiculous. The character, not so much, but the name's funny. Sometimes I wonder, the best I wonder parts if the, about these monsters is the name. I wonder if the Freaky Tiki got Freaky Deaky on his off time. <laughs> no. Just no. Uh, okay. So Nathan, we have another, before we can get into the awards, we actually have our favorite part of our discussion coming up and that's thematics. So Nathan, you yep. want to kick us off? Well, th- you've actually already written about this in Kaiju Ramen. So mm-hmm. we're kind of springboarding off of that, but you and I were talking, we're like, what is the thematic through line here? And there's a lot that we could talk about death and redemption, legacy, all that. But I feel like if I could bring all of those things under one umbrella, it would be new beginnings. Yeah. And because when you, from episode one on, you can see forms of it happening. Why, what is Terra Venture doing? It's this very frontiersman, wild west, you know, uh, you know, expansion, you know, like in America in the 1800s, when people were moving out west to, start a new life and tame the wild lands and things like that. That kind of Star Trekian idea of exploration. I, I mean, I even went so far as to look up, I'm not going to get too much into it because this could be a whole discussion unto itself. But if you ever heard the term manifest destiny. Mm. Yeah. So uh, just to give a quick definition here from history.com manifest destiny, a phrase coined in 1845 is the idea that the United States is destined by God. It's advocates believed to expand its dominion and spread democracy and capitalism across the entire North American continent. Mm -hmm. So that motivated a lot of what the pioneers were doing, because there's very much a pioneer spirit here. Now it's not so much to, you know, spread capitalism and all that. It's about finding a new home. And yeah. we talked about, it's like, why are people doing it? It's not because the earth is in danger or anything, you know, to be, be destroying itself. It's because it's that spirit of adventure and exploration. Yeah. That's why they're doing it. That's why everybody is there on the, on the Terra venture, mm-hmm. you know, and the, they spend a lot of time during the season talking about, well, where can we colonize? Where can we find a new home? And it takes them, they actually say how long it took them. It's about eight, nine months, if I remember correctly. Which for a ship that size, that is astounding. It is astounding. So, and then uh, the characters are all being motivated by that. Leo's trying to find a new life. The characters, when they pull the swords from the stone and that very Arthurian fashion, suddenly they have had destiny thrust upon them. Mm Mm-hmm. 
they're more than just you know the explorers, the soldiers, the mechanic, the freeloader, whatever. <laughs> they're more than that now. They're part of something much, much bigger. What's interesting about it, what's interesting about uh, Mike and Leo in particular is it's a little bit of a subversion where you're led to believe that it was Mike's destiny to have the red quasar saber and it was stripped from him. But uh, in in fact, it was actually Mike's destiny to become the Magna Defender. Magna Defender, yeah. All along. Uh And then, you know, because we have a couple of characters who... You know, like Magna Defender and Carone, who have redemption stories. And redemption is always about starting mm-hmm. over, new beginnings. Uh, Carone actually gets a couple of focus episodes that are all about that. One's even called Facing the Past, where she literally, this almost got my award, she literally, well, for one thing, she fights Trakina, so she one main villain gets to fight the other. Mm-hmm. And she gets to fight Astronomy. She fights the embodiment of her former self. Mm-hmm. And she has to conquer it. You know, it's it's incre- it's an incredibly well done episode, and I think you know that is the that is the that is the the ultimate payoff. And I know we could park here for a while, but we just don't have the time to. That, that yeah. like that is the ultimate payoff of the astronomer mm-hmm. to Corone story. Mm-hmm. And uh, going back to the whole thing about finding a new world to colonize, Maya when they find the planet, they don't realize it's Miranoi. But there, Maya even has this very kind of Star Trekian line where she's like, "Wow." Beaches that have never been walked upon. I'm paraphrasing. It's like it's it's like a newborn baby, you know, or something like that. It's like it's just mm-hmm. been born. You know, there's there's yeah. that excitement of you know finding something new, and they know it's not going to be easy, especially after because the Terra Venture basically gets destroyed, mm-hmm. and so they know that even though they survive, they're not going to have nearly the advantages, the technology, and everything that they had. So it's not going to be easy. And sometimes, you know, it's, it's, I was thinking about this when I was kind of reviewing, when I was reviewing episodes last night and sometimes to really fulfill your destiny, sometimes you have to go home again. Mm -hmm. And that's sort of what we see. You have to kind of go back to your roots and go back home again Mm -hmm. to kind of restart and reevaluate and kind of get a more, kind of get a baseline for what you need to do next. Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. And we see that with with Lost Galaxy, where they wind up back on Miranoi to mm-hmm. start a new life. The ba- mm-hmm. where this whole thing began, mm-hmm. they they go back home to start a new life. Mm-hmm. 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 And Trakina goes through her own arc where she comes into, or she you know self actualizes and embraces the destiny that was given to her by mm-hmm. her father when she didn't want to, and then has a literal new beginning because she goes through a metamorphosis in two spurts <laughs> to by the end of the episode, she has become completely and utterly evil and monstrous. Oh yeah, for sure. And she's completely just embraced all of that and just becomes obsessed with destroying Terra Venture to the point where she is just sacrificing everything to do it. She It becomes this kind of weird obsession that she has. We could also kind of read it into it because even though we haven't talked about it a whole lot, battleizers are a thing in Power Rangers now, this ridiculous American invention to sell more toys. And Leo's is quite possibly even more absurd than <laughs> Andros's from last season because it looks terribly impractical. But I mean, Whatever. it looks it looks terribly impractical. True, but it does have some cooler toys. 
than yeah. the Battleizer from last time. Perhaps. But whatever on that. And so so you have that. And it's, like I said, the theme of New Beginnings just runs throughout this whole thing. The characters yeah. are developing, trying new things. They're moving along in their stories. Kendrick's to a certain I guess we can talk about this now. Kendrick's gets magically revived at the end of the season in the liter at the literal last minute. And I feel like it robs her sacrifice a little bit. A little, a little, but I'm okay. I'm a little, but I'm okay with it because I enjoyed her character so much. And it, it, it served, it served as a good moment at the end. It did. It did, but it's very deuce ex machina. I th they did it more for Valerie Vernon than the character. Yeah. Because she had beaten leukemia at that point. Yeah. So they wanted to give her a little moment in the show. So I, I have seen, I have actually seen, I have actually seen uh, essays and things on, on, on this whole sequence. So it can be, this can be read in a, in a way I'm not, I'm not subscribing to this, but this can be read in a way that they all died in the plane crash and they're all meeting uh, Kendrick's in heaven. Or they all died in the crash of Terra Venture. So Power Rangers are lost. I don't. I mean, <laughs> also that say, is completely undone in Lightspeed Rescue. True, but I'm just saying what I've uh, I'm read I've read certain fan theories that say that you know they actually died in the in the crash of Terra Venture. So this is just them going to heaven, which. That would imply that the Galactabeasts all died too. So, and so did everyone on the ship. Yeah, that's just silly. Anyway, I mean, it's silly, but I I wanted to bring it up because it's it's an interesting idea. It's still silly. But... It's still silly, but it's an interesting yeah. idea. Yeah, but anyway, so like I said, new beginnings are all over the place, but they take on different forms, and some are positive, and some, some are negative. negative. Yeah. I mean, even Loyax, this one-off character. He has a new beginning because he realizes that, well, for one thing, he goes from evil to good again. Mm -hmm. And I think gives up some of his kind of weird, prejudiced, old-fashioned thinking. He's He actually ends up respecting Maya. He's not just writing her off as a silly girl. Yeah. You know, it, it it's very powerful that way. And I it's something that I think needs to be talked about a bit more, you know, because we all go through chapters in our lives where new things happen. And sometimes it's rough going. We've talked a bit about that before with some of the other seasons, but, you know, but, you know, chasing after that, you know, that frontiersman adventurous sort of sensibility that just permeates every episode of this show I think it's something to be celebrated. And some people might take some issue with it. You know, that kind of pioneer sort of sensibility here. It's weirdly old fashioned and I like it. Yeah, it is. It is. I, I, I think this is, this is the, this season, this season of power Rangers does not get the recognition. I believe it deserves, at least in the circles that I've seen it talked about in, a lot of people don't enjoy this season for some reason, I but don't there's understand why I don't, I, really I don't know. I mean, I it doesn't, maybe it's because it's coming after in space. 
and in space is just so dang good. But there are a few things that I think I have to I have to give credit to Lost Galaxy for. One mm-hmm. of which is how all of this stuff comes to a head in a finale that honestly comes perilously close to being better than Countdown. Well, I think it I think to some degree it is better than Countdown because it's very it's much better. The it's pacing much better pacing is better. The main yeah. advantage that the, that uh, Journey's End, that's what it's called, has over Countdown is the pacing. Because Countdown was supposed to be three parts. It got cut to two. Journey's End gets to be three parts. So the pacing is very, is much better. And there's this very steady escalation of things over the course of those three episodes, mm-hmm. building to a very satisfying finale. But the reason why I think Countdown still edges out, if only slightly, is because as despite being th- longer journey's end does not feel nearly as epic even with all the crazy things that happen with the zords being destroyed terra venture crashing which is a very ambitious special effects sequence and uh, all of the things that happen it's just not as big and epic yeah compared to countdown so that's why i think countdown ends up winning overall also the final fight between Andros and Astronema is full of so much emotion. And the fact that it ends with the death of Zordon, that's a lot of impact. There's a lot of weight to that. So this, the uh, journey's end didn't quite have that, I would say, but it works as a finale for lost galaxy. It's definitely like top five finale within the season. Honestly, honestly, I think it's probably second best only to countdown. You know, and then the other, I don't know, like, cause you get, we've got a season that's coming. We've got a season that's coming up in a couple of episodes that you could argue takes that, takes the, the finale formula and turns it on its head. I could see that. I know which one you're talking about. Also, I just, while we're talking about it, I'm going, I want to put this out there. Now we've hinted at it. I'm just going to throw it out here now. The to the tenth power and the power of pink as the first ever Power Ranger team up crossover. That is the benchmark, and no crossover has come anywhere close to topping it. Because mm. it furthers the stories of both teams. It pays off something from the previous season. And the fight choreography in that. I mean, we're getting a little ahead of ourselves, but Let's just get into the awards now so I could talk about that. All right, let's just do the awards. <laughs> no beating around the bush. <laughs> All right, so now it's time for the awards, Michael. The, we give these to some you know, some fun little aspects from the season. <laughs> we we uh, totally stole it from my other podcast. We borrowed it, but made it better. Keep telling yourself that. Anyway, <laughs> so first up is the Power Range of Motion. For the best stunt or fight scene, I've already been hinting at it. The the Space Rangers and the Galaxy Rangers versus the Psychos, that might be the best fight scene in all of Power Rangers. I have not seen anything that comes anywhere close. The choreography is gr- is just, it's exciting. They're utilizing the uniquenesses of each character very well. They're pairing them up with their respective colors against the psychos. They all get to do something cool. The teams are treated as equals. It's mm-hmm. amazing. 
Yeah, I mean, it, it is, it's a fantastic battle, especially it's a fantastic team battle, but my power range of motion award goes to the one-on-one -on -one battle in episode 14 between Treacheron and Leo. That was in contention for me. That was, that's a very good, that's a very well choreographed fight scene between the two. And it is the, it's the death of Treacheron, if I'm remembering. Yeah, it's yes. the death of Treacheron. And we were, we were talking about it earlier this, in this episode where Treacheron is, you know, not what his name implies. He's not necessarily treacherous. He does have some kind of code of honor. And that comes through in this very like samurai film esque battle between him and Leo. The fight choreography is on point. I like the fact that they let the setting is really cool too. The, the setting is really cool. It's set by this riverbank or it's set on this riverbank, which is very like samurai movie. Mm -hmm. uh, it's like an homage to a samurai movie. Uh, I, what I like about that scene though, is not just the fight choreography, but the fact that the two henchmen that were with Treacheron just kind of stood back and let Treacheron defend himself, like let mm -hmm. Treacheron, uh, defend his honor or, mm -hmm. or, you know, Basically. do things, defend, do, do things the way he wanted to do them. So that's my power range of motion award. Yeah. yeah. Next up we have the, just, uh, Travis say whatever you want about the name of it, but. You know, I we're sticking with it. The Ultra SFX Zord Award for the best special effect. Mine goes to the same episode, okay. <laughs> which is when all when both teams are Rangers. Even the episode title is a little misleading. It's called "To the Tenth Power." There's actually eleven of them, but whatever. <laughs> who's counting? Yeah, who's counting? Well, I guess we are, but okay. Yeah, but when they're all lined up together, they all pause. And then multicolored explosions go off behind them. It is, it's absolutely absurd. But every time I see that, like th that whole sequence is just for me is that's like top tier Power Rangers right there. That's Power Rangers at its peak as far as I care. But every time I see that shot of all of them together with the explosions going off, I just, I just picture that Michael Fassbender meme that just says perfection. <laughs> it's just like, that's right there <laughs> or for the sake of for the just for the simple sake of not having the same award for every single time uh, because I know you and I are going to have the same award in just a moment but my ultra SFX Zord award I got it right this time goes to the uh, defender Toro Zord specifically like the transformation sequence just because I I've said it earlier in the episode but I just think that's a, just a badass sequence yeah, it is cool. That's for sure. All right. And now for more phenomenal Mad Libs. Yeah, more phenomenal, not more phenomenal. Sorry, dude. Uh, <laughs> different award. <laughs> that would that might be what we do for the bootleg Power Ranger universe because they're all a bunch of drug addicts anyway. <laughs> <laughs> You're talking about Power Rangers unauthorized? Yes. Anyway, okay. more phenomenal Mad Libs for the best line. And as you would expect... I have to give it to my girl. <laughs> of course. It goes to Corone, who is pretending to be astronomer so she can get the uh, Kendrix's Quasar Saber back because it was acquired by a, an unscrupulous auctioneer who sells weapons to villains in the and planet Wild West. <laughs> and 
she he's auctioning it off and she just says i, I don't forget it was like some made-up currency it's all just use dollars so she basically says like one million dollars which is way more than anyone else was bidding and then everyone's like who who's that they look over and there's astronomer and they all freak out a little bit and she's like or the the auctioneer says are are you really buying it for a million dollars and she says better yet i get the quasar saber and all of you keep your lives (laughs) it's a total act but <laughs> which is undone when Trakina re- remembers, oh, Astronema was turned good by her brother Andros. Yep. So she During blows the- blows her cover. Basically. Yeah. Blows her cover. But it's still great. And it's one of those rare times where I feel like operating under the censorship of children's television in the late nineties. They, I think they actually managed to craft a line that works within it, but doesn't seem so neutered. (laughs) That makes sense. Yeah. Wow. What'd you have? I had for my more phenomenal Mad Lib, I alluded to this much earlier in the episode, but mine is the uh, line from Magna Defender to Kendrick's to basically set up this scene. Uh, Kendrick's Kendrick's uh, I think Kendrick says something to the effect of uh, why aren't you fighting with us, or why aren't you fighting with us uh, or why aren't you fighting alongside us or something like that. Uh, and then Magna Defender looks at her and says, you have no idea what I'm fighting for. You don't know me at all which is a wonderful setup to kind of give a little intrigue as to what the Magna Defender is actually fighting for, because we find out, I think it's an episode or two later, that his son was killed by Scorpius. So Mm -hmm. that was just an interesting line uh, to kind of set up that story arc, and that's why it was included as my more phenomenal Mad Lib. All right, and now we get to one of my favorite awards, which is... I I can't believe that happened for the craziest moment. Now, normally I give this to, uh, to something that is patently absurd to the point of being funny. Mm -hmm. This time I'm giving it to a moment that is truly shocking. And we've already talked about it a bit. Two words. Kendrick's dies. Mm -hmm. Yeah. This is the first time, maybe even the only time I don't know could be wrong. But a Power Ranger dies in the line of duty. And the fact that the creators of the show had the balls to do this instead of just writing her off the show. You want to talk about bold and ambitious. (laughs) Who would think to do this in a kid's show? You don't let the heroes die in the kid's show. Yeah, for sure. And it's given a lot of weight. Cause she dies heroically saving Cassie and you know, wait, the other part of this two-parter, by the way, the crossover, cause this doesn't ha- happen often. We get a Zord team up too. And that was all Saban footage to boot. Well, most of it was Saban footage. So while that's going on, she, cause they were trying to get the MacGuffin of the week was the quote unquote savage sword, which they don't really explain, but it's a super powerful weapon. Oh yeah. Randy savage sword. But <laughs> There's a so, meme. Yeah, Randy Savage. Ooh, yeah. Anyway, so it's been stabbed. They it was used to stab Cassie's morpher. So there's this vortex of energy going on that's going to basically kill everybody around it. And 
Kendricks forces her way into this tornado, and she takes out the sword, but it explodes and takes her with it. Yeah. And she knew that was what was going to happen. Yeah. It just goes to show that Kendricks was such a selfless person, which plays into what we talked about earlier to the to the trope uh, or to the characterization usually of a pink ranger. But, you know, I will say, I said this in my notes and I'll repeat it here. That was a lot of pink energy. (laughs) It really is dangerous. It really is dangerous, at least in that moment. Um, So, yeah, I mean, you, we've already talked about it. There's no way, there's no way that I, that this could not also be, my I, I, I can't be can't believe that happened because it is such a impactful moment in not just this series, but in the franchise. Yeah, I'm actually a little disappointed that this hasn't been done more often or at least yeah. implied to have happened before, because I think that it it helps to give gravity to what's going on here. It does. Like I said, I do feel like it gets undone a little bit. You know, it's kind of the comic book thing where it to the it's to the point now in comic books where if you say, oh, we're going to kill a character, no one takes it seriously. They'll hype yeah. it. Marvel or DC can hype it. But within six months, we know the character is going to come back. Yeah. Character sure. death in comic books means nothing anymore. It's yeah. been cheapened that much. At least it means at least it means something here. And um, it that that's what's important. But mm-hmm. and and it's this moment along with a lot of the other things that we've talked about that honestly puts Kendricks on my list of favorite pink Rangers, along with Carone and Cassie and another one we're going to talk about in a few episodes. Yeah. So yeah. So moving on into our last segment, Nathan, do you know what it is? It's morphin time. So this is the part of the show where we in one minute or less give our final thoughts and our synopsis of what we just talked about. So Nathan, are you ready? I am ready, sir. Okay. On your mark, get set, go. So yes, as I said, this doesn't quite get to the same level as in space, but good Lord, does it want to, it wants to so much. Oh, absolutely. And I would say that this is such a wonderful season that grows up with its audience um, a lot. And it it takes this it takes the audience on this journey, on this adventure, uh, if you will. And it's such a it's such an underappreciated season. And I have no idea why. Maybe it's because of the 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 Galacta Beasts are a little silly, but a lot of things in Power Rangers are a little silly. But except for but this one in particular you know, it's, it's well done. It's yeah, the writing is it, great. The characters are great. All yeah, of it, I, it I really, it. it really is. And I would say that the next season we're going to talk about just to give a little preview. I think that one's more underappreciated because it's sandwiched between two really good ones, but we'll get there and time's up. So speaking of the next season, uh, Nathan, you want to give him a little preview of what we're going to be talking about next episode. It will be Power Rangers Lightspeed rescue. <laughs> which arguably has another catchy theme song oh it's even catchier than this one oh yeah we'll talk about it we'll talk about it uh it i feel like because i was hinting at i feel like that one is grossly underestimate uh, underappreciated because it's sandwiched between two really standout seasons Mm -hmm. and you mean it's got some other reasons why it might go a little underappreciated but we'll get into that because i do think it's underestimated just a little just a little 
just a little bit. I'm looking forward to it. I like, I like Lightspeed Rescue. Uh, I like it. Like I like Lightspeed Rescue a lot. And we're getting dangerously close into uncharted territory for the both of us. So we're coming up. We're we're almost. It's the pen. Lightspeed Rescue is the penultimate season in the in the original Saban era. So it's it's going to be a fun one, I think. Yep, for sure. So with that, may you always have a call to adventure. May you all keep your lives. And may the power protect you. Thank you for listening to The Power Trip, a podcast produced and hosted by Michael Hamilton and Nathan Marchant. If you'd like to send us feedback, email us at powertrippod at gmail.com. Follow us on Twitter, where our handle is at thepowertrippod, and join our official Facebook group, Power Rangers Legacy. Subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, YouTube, and other great podcasters. The podcast logo was designed by Rebecca Hudgens. Follow her on Instagram at super underscore r underscore illustrations. Our theme songs are from the album Power of the Grid by Neil Stenson. We also use Galaxy Quest Instrumental by Heaven Wraith from the OC Remix album Jet Force Gemini Mizar Attacks. All film and audio clips belong to their respective copyright holders and no infringement is intended or implied. The Power Trip has no association with Saban Entertainment or Hasbro. Please rate and review us on Apple Podcasts and or Podchaser to spread the word about the show. And until next time, see ya!